Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. You get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community. Episode of Riding on the Wall podcast. I go by the name of Chris Frizzell. Of course, we got Blue Shando in the building. And also, today we have a special guest. Give it up for Richard Peterson, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Glad I could do it. How are you guys doing? Doing good. It's going to be one good. of my, my favorite episodes. I got one of my best friends in the world sitting here. Um, a lot of people have already met uh, Mr. Richard Peterson, aka Petey. He goes by Petey for the most part. Um, whenever he's around us anyway. I don't know what his family calls I think your family calls you Richard, right? Depends. All the military bros call me PD. A lot of other friends call me Rick. It depends. But your your um your mom, your sister Richard, yeah. You know, it's all Richard. Yeah. See the funny thing about his name is I never understood why we called him Petey. How the how did that even develop? I just, I think Star McKenzie was the first one. <laughs> and he just shortened my last name because it was too difficult, I guess. I had too long. Hey, where's yeah. Peterson? Yeah, so we call him we call him Petey for some, and it doesn't even make sense to me because the way your your last name is spelled P E D E R S E N, and somehow Petey came from it. But when I look at you, I don't look at I don't see a Richard. <laughs> I don't I, yeah, I don't yeah. think I could call you Richard. My wife calls you Richard. Said, yeah, I had to get used to Brian too. Oh like, yeah, Brian. that's that's a weird name. Whenever certain people say it, like you just saying yeah, that yeah. just now just hit me. Like, yeah, I'm still not <laughs> used to calling you Brian. I don't think I ever called you Brian. Really? Yeah. Or you're not I just, used to call I just, I just know you by blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a name oh, yeah. fits the face kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, so we got uh, Petey in here. We became really good friends over our time in the military. And um, Petey has introduced me to a lot of different concepts, uh, a lot of different theories on things. One of the, one of the most um, well-spoken people I know socially big uh, for for sure everywhere i've been with with Petey, he's definitely uh running most of the conversations <laughs> he's a conversation hog but he's good with it yeah. his flow is great he's very knowledgeable and um i think there's a lot of people that, that get threatened by by his knowledge sometimes and it, and it causes a, a little bit <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you guys meet so you guys obviously both were in the military but how'd you guys meet or what yeah so um well, the first time I can remember is the, probably the best yeah, the story in the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah, it's the best story. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? You want me to tell it? You well, want to start? Well, I'm all, I'm all ate up. And so I get, because when you first get there too, you cannot screw up. So, I, you know, I was super nervous about my, super nervous about my, uh, my uniform not being squared away. And you have all the different patches and the, and your name tape and your unit tape and all that kind of stuff. So, so I got it all laid out. Yeah. And the next morning, I guess I was like panicking or getting nervous or, you know, freaking out or whatever. And I grabbed the wrong uniform. Uh-huh. So I go down into the channel hall and I'm sitting there and there's all kinds of senior enlisted and NCOs, sergeant majors can come through there. And, uh, but anyway, that's. Which, yeah, which was the case. So, um, I went to get breakfast that morning, showed up, did PT, went to get, you know, showered up, went to the, went to the chow hall, got in line. And I, I realized I was behind our battalion sergeant major and our, um, our battalion commander and 
uh, you know, whenever they're in the building, everyone kind of gets a little nervous and everyone tries to be pretty squared away for the most part. Yeah. And I get my food and I didn't even know Richard was a soldier in my, my platoon or my company for that matter. Uh-huh. I just saw him sitting at the table. I walked, I got my food and I was behind, like I said, the, the battalion sergeant major and, and commander. And they went out and they went uh, maybe like to the salad bar or something. And I just went towards the tables and I saw him sitting there and I, I noticed he didn't have the right patches on. I don't oh. know if you had your. I your... see him. I was sitting like against the wall at the very end. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing you like walk up, you're like walking towards me, and I was like, I was like getting nervous already. I was like, what's going on? And I remember you just like leaned in like real close, and you were like, dude, you don't have any patches on. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean? What when you don't have your patches on? You have a name tape. Uh-huh. It says U.S. Army. Uh-huh. You have your unit patch. You have a deployment patch if you have one. You have you know whatever schools you've been to or whatever, but yeah. um, you have your rank on the front if you have any rank. And uh, that's like a that's a, 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 a big problem if you show up, especially new. Oh, and really? Some of that. Oh, yeah. Some yeah, of that obvious. Because when they're new, they're they're like everyone's like a bunch of sharks. Like all the guys have been there for a long time. All the slightest slip up. Yeah, and they're looking for you to make that mistake. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so I didn't know him at the time, but I knew he was about to get in a world of hurt because he was. What like, could happen? They make you do. Like push oh, ups, man. Or what you, you don't even know. Like what? It depends on whatever type of day is the person that finds you messing up. You know, like yeah, you could. They could make your. They could try to figure out like um, unique ways to punish you. Uh-huh. Make make you show up uh, wearing every every patch you have, tying it, tie you, stuff to you. They'll tie oh, yeah, wow. make it everything that you own, tie it to your body, or they'll make you do push ups for hours, or run, or or do, the worst is pull you in front of the formation and just. Just shame you. Oh wow! Yeah. Talk about. I'll like everyone to have a look at Specialist Peterson. This is the, this is the ideal failing soldier. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Is. Once you get that mark put on you from early, from like day one, that's whenever you're in a, you're in a bad, you get a bad, bad start. So oh, yeah. What what ended up happening? Did you, uh, did you save him or what happened? There, I was like the Walking Dead. He he came up and he told me, and I looked down, and I have a completely. It's called a sterile uniform. Completely uh, sterile. There's no patches. Nothing. Yeah. It's like I just bought it out of the store. And uh, so I just get up, and I take my tray up, and I set it down, and I just kind of like walk like regular out of the cafeteria, out of the defac, and then I sprint back up to my, <laughs> praying to God no one sees me on the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he made it. So you got away with it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but that, I don't think I was late either, so. That, that was our first time. But everybody messes up on their, on their first time around. Like that's, yeah. and, but whenever you have other people out there looking out for you, it just makes it a little bit easier to get by, you know? Uh-huh. And um, I always knew the type of pain that came with being um, in being in the wrong as a new soldier. Yeah. Um, there is times when I wasn't even wrong, and I still yet they they still yet found a way to to get onto me and haze mm-hmm. me a little bit, you know. So um, I always had like a soft spot for like new guys for some reason. I always like tried to help out when I could because I was still a new guy at the time, and I didn't want to see see him getting punished in front of the whole cafeteria who knows who was in there at the time you know so, yeah but i always try to look out for people yeah you've been there for a f- there. you've been there for a few months yeah i'd already been there and taking um taking some beatings so but yeah so that's how we met um mm-hmm. and slowly we just slowly worked to work the relationship out of being in the same platoon uh we're bound bound to become good friends just based on our personalities like they were definitely gonna find each other and we became friends yeah over our time and then not to mention, um, there's there's a good group of us too, you know, the guys you deploy with. 
those are the guys you become closest with because you you suffer with these people for months at a time and that brings you close like there's no there's no other bond in the world that you can probably bring on to um a group of guys yeah like when you've been overseas you suffered you've carried um hundreds of pounds you've seen them at their lowest uh-huh. yeah. you see dudes cower you see them cry you see them you, you know, see them fight with each other not quit hopefully but not yet, not, yeah yeah and um you take you're getting shot at people are getting hurt and sent home or whatever the case is you know people are losing their lives I and mean, you're around that for uh-huh. so long um you you're definitely going to build like a really strong bond and that's what happened you know he was in the we had in our platoon every platoon in the infantry for the most part they have two big machine guns uh-huh. and um one of them they're called 240s they're called 240 machine guns they shoot uh, 7.62 millimeter um, rounds and so PD and they're heavy and they're heavy <laughs> so PD here ended up uh, acquiring one of those one of those positions as, as a machine gunner uh-huh. and we were both in the same in same squad every platoon right has four squads in it at least um, and three for us for deployment yeah three for us they have guys yeah but um, every every platoon has one weapon squad in it and me and Petey were both in the weapon squad. And when you're in the weapon squad, that squad's main job is to take care of the big machine guns. Yeah. And Petey's job eventually became that he had to carry one of them. Uh-huh. So he was our machine gunner on on that 2012 deployment in, in Afghanistan. We're in the Ghazni province? Yeah. Yeah, we're in the Ghazni province. There's actually Korba, a... Korba, There's actually a, a documentary that was... That was made on that. Did you ever see that? It was yeah, it was called, like the fighting season. Yeah, my fighting season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it. It was. I was on, hoping I was in it so bad. Yeah, I know, right? I wasn't. It showed a bunch. <laughs> it showed a bunch of people and made them look like big heroes. And I'm like, man, that dude didn't really do much. You I know, know but, I know. But um, the camera wasn't able to really follow around everybody. Yeah. But it did get a lot of good good footage in yeah. there. Yeah. Like I saw a bunch of people I knew, a bunch of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows around the battalion commander and sergeant major for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't Very really get to. Him. You don't really get to see like what the platoons are doing like at the, um, in the more desolate areas and that, but that was our. It's too risky for a camera crew. Uh-huh. Yeah, I suppose. So they don't. They yeah, they're gonna put them with leadership. Yeah, but anyway, um, if there's ever if you ever get the chance, there's a documentary called My Fighting Season. Uh huh. And it was it was over our deployment and our time there. What What was the main reason you want to join the military? Oh. Well, biggest thing probably was like a it seemed like a male sense of purpose. But a lot of my friends and family growing up, a lot of them were older, uh-huh. all my friends and stuff. So they were all military, uh-huh. all Marines for the most part, and a couple guys in the army. Um, a guy who's my brother-in-law now who was a ranger, and that was a big inspiration too. But I just always, uh, I was always attracted to that kind of like test of manhood. Yeah, you know, I was like that growing up. And you grew up in where? Uh, California or yeah, Southern California, Temecula, about an hour from San Diego, hour from LA, right in the okay. middle there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you actually uh, signed up for in the, in, originally. Uh, yeah, originally, I went down, and my dad wanted me to do. He was, of course, like any father I imagine was interested in, like you know, transferability out into the civilian world. Uh-huh. So he wanted me to do this prime power, which I don't even know what it is. You like learn how to work on, I don't know, nuclear power plants, or I don't even have any idea. Yeah. Now what it was, but he was like, "That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do." And so he uh, was trying to make you do. What yeah, you, what you want? yeah, yeah. Vicariously making good decisions through me. So, so um, I had signed up for that. Uh-huh. 
like, you know, that was what I wanted. I was like, that's a slot I was going to get. I was going through the process. And then my now brother-in-law, James, who was an Army Ranger, infantry, and then airborne school, and then went to Ranger school, um, or Ranger Indoc. But he was like, dude, you don't want to do that. Uh-huh. He's like, you're going to be sitting. You think that you're going to be, like, running and gunning. You're not. You're going to be sitting in a room, you know, a paper pusher, essentially. Yeah. Not going to get range time. Not going to get deployment time. Not going to get combat time. And so I remember I went down to the recruiter and I told him, like, you know, it was like a couple of weeks before I'm supposed to ship out. And I was like, I don't want to do whatever this BS I was signed up for is. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to do infantry. And I've been looking at an 18X contract, a special forces recruit. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was like, that's what I want to do. And he was like, no, you don't want to do that. You know, you want to do, that's not going to transfer. He was another, he wasn't infantry either. So, um, so I just told him, no, this is the only thing I'm going to do. And, you know, so switch me over. Yeah. And so sure enough, and then I had to go home and tell my dad. And he was furious. Oh, wow. Because I didn't consult with him. I just was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I got it. What was the reason why he wanted you to be that? Did he think? Um, I mean, he doesn't want to get shot. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Know? So he was looking out for you. You know, and plus, you know, there's not a whole lot of skill transfer from the infantry over to a civilian job. Oh, okay. You know, unless you want to be a cop or, you know. I'm a security guard or something like that as far as like direct involvement. So what exactly is infantry? I don't, I don't even really know. Infantry. Those yeah. are just the standard, what you imagine when you think of any kind of military operation, they're the guys performing the actual operations on the battlefield. Okay. So it's I those see. guys. Is there any, is there any stories you guys can talk about that, that happen when you're in military? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're that what's what's the most exciting one? What, and um, and this is this is one of the reasons why me and me and Peter are such good friends. Yeah. Is cuz like we we um we agree a lot more for the most part on like morals. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so like one of our one of our biggest gripes I think is that like we we didn't join for attention. You know, yeah. we we didn't join to get the spotlight and come home and be like Man, you should have seen what, what what we did over there. We were out there saving the world while you were back here, um, ordering your McDonald's. Like we don't we don't want to be that guy at all. And, uh-huh. um, we just we, I think for the most part, me and Petey have a lot of trouble like talking about war stories because we don't like to glamorize. Sounds try hard. Yeah, it sounds like try hard. We we try to stay humble about it. Yeah, and I think um, people have a hard time pulling those stories out of us. Yeah, yeah, but um. And and two, you got to think too. Like you know, there's there's a there's a time when we lost a couple soldiers out there. Yeah. And we don't want to capitalize on that. Yeah. We don't want people to think like we're big time hot shots because we signed up, joined, and we've seen it all. And we don't we don't want to capitalize on the death of other other American soldiers and stuff. So we we try to stay away from those stories because we just don't want to, you know bring that up and try to use it for some commercial of, commercializing their loss. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's hard sacrifice. to, it's hard to describe, but say for instance, um, I don't know if you've been around this, but like you get to get to a store and there's a guy wearing his, um, his military hat yeah. and some shirt that from the unit he was in and he's, it's really tight and he's asking for military discount. And then if he doesn't get it, he's talking about, well, when I was overseas and we, we what lost What about soldiers. my sacrifice? Yeah. I don't know like, what I've seen. That's the guy that'll be the first one to tell you about like war stories and stuff like that. But yeah, um, I've never once seen PD like just openly go out and just start telling people about um, war stories and stuff like that. And, and I try not to do it, do it either. It's, it's a weird subject for us, but 
the first thing we both feel, I think, is like we're trying hard for okay. people to get attention and stuff. And that's not what we what we signed up for, uh-huh. you know. So, but um, yeah, we we we've seen it all. I guess you can say we mm-hmm. had we had, we definitely had um, we had a good taste of what war is like when we were there. Um, we struggled. We carried a lot of weight. Um, you know, we 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 got firefights and we've seen explosions and seen people die and things like that but yeah um it was a it was a definitely a unique experience it was a growing experience for me for sure because when i got there I, w- I was just a kid and um are you guys the same age no i'm 32 so i was 22 when i joined oh okay yeah i was 20 i think yeah yeah i, I was just yeah a so kid. we're both a little bit older but I, helps. I i grew up a lot out there i felt like you were definitely way more mature than i was when i got there i um, just pretend yeah, you're, you're, good, you're, face. you're a good pretender. <laughs> yeah. If there's a story that you could talk about, maybe a story like of uh, of triumph and overcoming, or I don't know, something something to, to give the listeners just a little bit. Okay, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, okay, Let me start. Ahead, right, the one ahead. that stands up in mind, here's another reason why I feel like uh, me and Petey make, make good friends. Yeah. So we went on a, um, a th- it was like a three-day patrol. I think it was only supposed to be like a two-day patrol. We were supposed to come back after two days. And uh, we, we went on a patrol. And we ended up being gone for way longer than we thought. Um, a lot of things happened, and um, we got ambushed. It kept us out there. That's what it was. Yeah, we um, we got ambushed, and we ended up staying a little bit longer. And the trip just kept getting extended. And uh, we made it back. At, well, before we decided, you know, it was time to time to walk back mm-hmm. to um, one of our little checkpoints. We had to climb over these mountains. You remember those little series of mountains oh, yeah. we kept climbing? <laughs> they were straight up. And so you go up, and um, uh, my squad leader, uh, shout out to uh, um, David McKenzie. At the time, it was Staff Sergeant McKenzie. I think he's seven now, right? But I don't know. anyway, um, shout out to to um, Sergeant McKenzie. But he was he was trying to keep us sane every time we go up one mountain. He'd be like playing a game with us. He'd say, "Who can make it to the top first? Who's tired? I'm not tired." And he's just <laughs> Dude, I, I'm not, not, I wasn't playing that game. <laughs> just <laughs> trying to just ignoring him. <laughs> He's coming up with little mind tricks and I'm stuff. Trying to keep my feet moving. We get up to the top, and then I, you know, one of us to turn back and be, "Hey, man, this ain't it. One more mountain to go." Yeah, you press that down. hill. It was like when I used to go uh, backpacking in the Sierras with my dad when I was little, and it'd be the same thing. Walking for hours, and you crest this hill, you're like, "Oh, you know," you start to your body starts to relax subconsciously, muscles start to stretch out a little bit, and you get over that crest, and you look over, and you go, "Nope." Nothing's in sight. Just more hills. More, <laughs> more well, mountains. The, the walk kept going yeah. and going, and we were like, Dang, when are we going to get back? We're tired. We'd already been out for a couple of days. Uh-huh. And actually, the day before, we had to like spend the night at some weird Afghan checkpoint with these in this area we're not familiar with. So we are you to, talking about that like mountain fortress? Yeah, yeah. The mountain I almost fortress. froze it. The coldest I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah, so, oh yeah. Okay, I got to back up a little bit. That, that night sucked bad because it was freezing cold. We got there when we were all sweaty. We were all... Dr- drenched in sweat then the temperature dropped and then we had to pull security throughout the night so you'd sleep for like two hours and then it was your turn again you'd have to wake up and go pull security and then you come back in and then everybody's cuddling yeah me back hudson in. me hudson and cox were snuggling too close <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, our jackets were freezing literally frozen we had to like break them up we're a bunch of bunch of trained killers they were just snuggling up to each other like hey stop getting up <laughs> you're, you're, you're hugging all the blanket like you have your little they call them little wooby it's this little like blanket they yeah, give. It's you. the best thing. There was only um, two people in my and or one person. I think Pate was the only one who brought his wooby. So we had to share one wooby. There was three of us sharing this one. We were like trying to snuggle up and you know stay warm. But wow. Uh, so it's it's just a lot of like no, a little bit 
no sleep, right? Yeah. And then you go walking. We had a long day the next day. And then we're trying to walk back. And um, we we had to climb all those mountains, all this up and down stuff. And it was a, it was playing games with our like our heads. Like Petey's saying, you think like you're going to relax a little bit. And you look, you get over the top. It's just another hill to climb. And so we went through this. And we finally get to the last hill. And I remember cresting the top and seeing that, like you said, the mountain fortress. Yeah. You see this like big... Um, fortress run by the afghans up on top of this big round mountain imagine round mountain yeah. flat at the top had a big um security element up there so we had to climb up the mountain fortress to get to the to the camp uh-huh. and at that point i don't know if it was like in everyone's head but people were starting to like get really tired and just their legs were giving out they were getting cramped that's what i'm saying it's that subconscious thing your your body you know it's like you when you got a piss and you get like real close to the bathroom your body just starts trying to evacuate you know and it's yeah. the same thing with you know, you're like oh, you're like the bottom of that bottom of that hill, and you're like just a oh, just a little bit more. And people started falling out in the last, you know, yeah, well, couple minutes. Yeah, we were just there. All we had to do were was you guys up. on some kind of like mission, or was was this like a yeah, part a, of training? It was a mission. We so a battalion mission, wasn't yeah. it? What, what were you trying to? What was the? What were you guys trying to do? What were? They, I remember we attract um, fire. Yeah, did we you got, walk around because the whole the whole thing was, Korba is right up against the mountains, uh-huh. um, bordering Pakistan. So the fighters stay in Pakistan, and then they come over during the fighting season, which is why that show is called The Fighting Season. I believe that was right. Mm-hmm. But um, So they hang out in Pakistan, basically, and then in the fighting season, they come over. So these towns that border the mountains are the first places they take refuge or take over or whatever. And so they just place units at all these different border towns. Uh-huh. So our job literally was to like just march around and like attract them out. Yeah, because like when they Attract them out, them out what do you mean? Get them, get them to attack us. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. We get we get to every village and we ask them questions like, "Hey, is there is there Taliban activity here?" Have a command presence in the town. So yeah. whenever you would uh you would you would uh, meet up with one, would you have to like I don't know arrest them? I don't know if that's the right word or what would yeah, you have to do? Yeah, like if you kind find, of yeah. If yeah. you find them, if you find that they have weapons on them and they're doing bad things, yeah, you can. And you're working with Afghanistan um, National Army uh-huh. the whole time. They're always with you, and you have an interpreter to fix that communication barrier yeah and sorry. who you shouldn't trust <laughs> and they um they make the calls on who they want to take hostage or prisoner or not i see so if you find if you do catch one you basically turn them over to put them in the hide remember we did that yeah there's a machine too that we um it's kind of like when you go to the end and you clock in you put your finger on that thing and takes yeah. your fingerprint yeah we would take biometrics like that on them, and so we could try to keep like a database of all the people that we've run into. Uh-huh. And so, like, if you really wanted to look into, you could take that. Um, you could take all of that information back to your, um, your little your camp, and where you have your intelligence units, and they'll take the data from you, and they'll come back with you to you like the next day or so, and be like, "Hey, so that guy that you took fingerprints on yesterday, he's actually been." stopped numerous times in yeah this if they keep stopping in this okay this yeah. guy's up to something and so that's in their database they keep keep tabs on how many times and what happened when they stopped them and they're like so the next time you run into this guy just go ahead and detain him and bring him back with um a and turn him over uh-huh. and so like you could do things like that and keep track of you know little details like that too but yeah um the afghanistan the afghanistan national army a and a they were the ones who made the calls on um what to do with the prisoners and stuff yeah we, we always, like, we, we have the firepower, but they're the ones making des- the decisions because that was kind of like part of our mission was to e- 
um, basically kind of turn over. Seed control, yeah. So it's yeah. like we're, we're supposed to be there like aiding. Uh-huh. So it's supposed to be like they're calling the shots. They're not and in like a tactical sense, but then anyone that we come across like that has to be turned over to them. That was, that was like a phase of turning the power over to the a and yeah. um, or helping them get the power back. But anyway, um, so we, we go on this long this long mission, right? That um, And a lot of us, we kind of just do what we're told, you know? Um, we kind of get the bigger picture, but they tell us to walk and we walk. But so we, we're, we're coming back off like this two-day mission or however long we were out there. And we get to the big the big fortress finally and everyone starts getting tired and leg cramps and... Yeah, people are Google taking... Google Masada, and that's what the fortress looked like. <laughs> Siege back in the day. It's like on top of like this. It's like uh, what's that rock in like uh, in Australia? It's like that big like I forget that like big plateau. It looks like that sitting right on top. It was like one of the only big hills around there. Oh okay. Yeah. We we climb we climb to the top and um, we get there and I guess the other platoons were trying to help us because they heard they heard about all the trouble that we got in. Uh-huh. They heard that we were we ran out of, we ran out of water. We had no water. Oh wow! We were we were banged up. We were tired, and so the other platoons were like, "Hey, let's go help these guys get back home, man." They they kind of got banged up out there. Yeah. Speaking of real quick, speaking of shout outs, I'd like to give a shout out to Spalding if he ever hears this for not having his guys top off their Camelbacks. <laughs> what is I that? had to give them all my water, so thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Camelbacks. What is that? It's our little. You wear on the back and. It, you fill it with water and you can oh. suck it through a straw. Oh, okay. Right through a straw, yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, we get to the, we finally get to the top and um, everybody's, you know, getting, they, they, we meet up with the other platoons and they're like, hey man, we're here to help you guys out. We're going to give you guys rides back. And we were so happy because that point that we were at, that was just kind of like the halfway marker. We still have to walk back from there to our location, to our little... Um, the QDC, yeah. Yeah, it's called the QDC. And that's where we were sleeping, we had all our stuff, and we spent all of our time, right? And so we get there, and we see the trucks there, and we're like, oh, thank God, these guys are here to help us out. And my, um, well, me and, me and Petey's squad leader, um, Sergeant McKenzie, he came back to us, and he goes, hey, man, I got some, got a little bit of bad news. Two of us from every squad, well, I say every squad, there's three squads. He's like, two people from each squad are going to have to walk because there's not enough room in, in the trucks to take everybody back and i remember everyone's face dropped like oh man like we all just been through this long walk we're dehydrated and cramped yeah they're hooking up ivs to people people are laying down there's no cold water everything's so hot you can't even drink it it burns your tongue yeah uh, and yeah. uh so we had to watch it when we were just sitting there and, and uh me and Petey were the ones who volunteered from our squad and you know, there was the, there's a lot of moments like that where me and Petey always found ourselves like trying to you guys volunteered for what uh, we volunteered to walk back the rest of the oh, way. Oh, how long was that? How it, many miles was, was I don't it? I remember. It took, uh, it took hours, man. It took a long time. Yeah, I, was, I think it, I think it only might have been four or five, but like in like a tactical, if it's like a tactical march, it's yeah. not. You're not like jogging on a street. Yeah. So and, four miles, like in the sand, it's it's rough and taking and, hours. And by that point, we we're already already physically drained. Yeah. Like we we're we we're pretty much and we're, at, we're all pretty good at um, physical fitness. Because we, we had trained a lot before that, and our leadership was, like, very strict. Speak, speak for yourself. I was only good at carrying stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, if we weren't in shape, like, 
since that's we would not even made it that far yeah like we we had to really be on our game as far as physical fitness to to make that what made you guys volunteer what, what, what that's, was and about? that's and that's what i wanted to bring up is like that's the type of personality we both have yeah where we're, we constantly try to put ourselves first and we're, tr- we're always trying to look out for other people around us we always feel like we got to be the heroes you know like and help other people in and, other words in other words i have a martyrdom complex <laughs> <laughs> so uh, me and Petey walked back and um, they actually let us drop our, our bags off because it's full of a lot of ammo. So they let us dump as much weight as we could. I uh, felt I felt badass because I was carrying the gun on my shoulders like above me like that. <laughs> I felt like I was in like a like a movie about Vietnam or Dude, something. Dude, I was going to say, is that your Vietnam scene? Like Animal Mother <laughs> yeah. from, uh, yeah. <laughs> you could you could unstrap one of your, uh, yeah, yeah. your buckle for your chin strap. But yeah, so we walked back and um, there's there's a lot of moments like that that I always, that I, that always stuck out to me because... Um, PD was always always there trying to trying to take you know extra weight or pack extra water or extra food and he always looked out for other people around him and stuff. As much as I, as much as I like to bust his balls about stuff, um, <laughs> he's kind of a good guy. I don't know. Thanks, is, is that the way you were raised, just to be like that, or, or how did you become that person? Um, it, we had to get like psychologically probably like being bullied when I was little. Oh, really? It might be like an inferiority complex or. You know, I have to like Peacock or something like that, but uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always liked, uh, even like during PT, you know, when Star McKenzie would take Hudson's ruck and make me carry it on top of my ruck. Uh-huh. It was just like a, I need to prove my worth kind of thing. I don't know if it's like a, you know, so I'm like self-conscious about maybe not being good enough and so I have to try harder or something, something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we had a lot of good times. But that's that's one of the stories that always sticks out in my mind. Um, that was that was one of our biggest missions, and um, that was probably like the most like crappy situation that I've ever been through, like physically with like you know the the guys and stuff. And we saw a lot of things on that patrol on that mission, and it was just crazy. And those times brought us closer. Um, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that walk. I'll never forget how tired it was. It felt like. Yeah, that's just, the most hard I've ever been. It felt like I was just stomping my legs into the concrete on the way back on the road. And um, by the time you make it back, I think the other platoons were trying to help us out too. With um, They took over our guard shifts for the next 24 hours when we made it back to that's our... That's right. That was the first time I remember we went back and we got to sleep for like 10 hours or 12 hours. Yeah, We've been sleeping no time. longer than three. Oh, wow. Cons- you know, consecutive, yeah. Uh, we, we slept for a long time. We Sorry, just I forgot recu- about that. We just recuperated and... The other platoons pulled a bunch of extra guard shifts because they knew what we went through. Uh-huh. So they were um, they weren't getting any sleep just so we could recover because yeah. you know we were pretty ba- we were pretty beat up as far as being tired and stuff. So yeah, that that was that's definitely something that stuck, sticks out in my mind. Another thing that sticks out in my mind is all the time, all the hours, the countless hours I, I spent in um, guard towers with Petey. Uh-huh. That's where we really sealed the deal on friendship. Yeah, because uh-huh. uh, we got into a lot of good conversations for four-hour shifts. Uh-huh. Yeah, four and then hours. towards the and end, it was in, like it's in a guard tower. You said, yeah, we we built them on top of these buildings. Okay, with well, sandbags. Well, so what were you guys doing? Um, you you you'd build a guard tower, and then what was your job? I guess there stand out there and make sure no one's running up on you. I guess really? you yeah. take fire, try to identify where it's coming from. Yeah, and anything you have... suspicious if it, if it, at night, check the roads and stuff like that. Make sure. that no one coming through the bazaar or no you're, you're unusual up, activity. You're yeah. linked up with a guy who's called SOG. He's called Sergeant of the Guard. Uh-huh. He's down at the bottom, in the, you know, kind of like the middle, and he'll roam around the guard towers, checking on the soldiers, make sure everyone's awake. He has like the he has the main radio, and if any of the guard towers um, suspect any suspicious activity, they're supposed to report it to the SOG. 
And it's his job to determine what to do with that information. So if you see some people digging a hole um, a mile out or half a mile out, wherever, and you call, you know, ASOG, this is Guard Tower 1. Um, we have one guy, he's digging a hole on this road. And he's all right, just keep watching, keep eyes on him. Make sure he doesn't advance towards our position. And then so we'll just watch him and document what's happening. And the next day, we'll go out and investigate why he was digging at night, you know. Hmm. So that, 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 that was our main job, just hmm. keep our eyes out. And if people were shooting at, shooting at us, you know, you're right behind a big machine gun because we put big machine guns up there. So you, we had the firepower up there and ammo. There, it was a good place that was um, built up for taking, um, you know, fire, enemy fire. You were behind a bunch of sandbags. You could shoot back and stuff. So, yeah, it's just that was just that. You just pulled guard. Yeah. You just talk to your, your SOG if you saw anything. Yeah. If you're being attacked, you tell them where it's coming from. But, yeah, so we spent a lot of time in those guard towers um, just talking, getting used to each other, getting to learn each other. And, um, dude, that's where I learned about skinwalkers. Oh, dude, really? what you, did Blue tell you about skinwalkers? You run out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> he told me they're real. That's what he told me. And then I we talked about we started talking about skinwalkers. And well, that's like that's a Navajo thing, though. It, it is, yeah. But um, we were trying to come up with just any way to scary kill the, stories, any yeah. way to kill yeah. the time, you know? Because did he tell you about Bigfoot? Not all? <laughs> no, no. Oh. We didn't talk about it. to me. Bigfoot gets played out, you know. It was just me in the suit, remember? Yeah, no, right. We talked, <laughs> but. Uh, the hours you spend in there with people is what you know you get close with those guys and stuff yeah. and um we we spent four hours at a time for about a good four month stretch you know a month mm. to get there and a month to go home but that those four months they were tough man we yeah. we um filled how many thousands of sandbags did our company fill it was a, it was a ridiculous number yeah i have no idea i remember uh it's like more first than like, bird would get mad at us and make us go out there if you know something wasn't going his way, yeah, we'd take our platoon out there and just have you fill sandbags like ten hours. Yeah, we are straight. The company would feel like over like fifty thousand or something like that. Something <laughs> stupid. I have no idea. Ridiculous I don't know. Amount. The number might be grown in my mind or something, but yeah. So we we were always dirty. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't always have showers. Um, we didn't always have food. You know, we always eat a lot of MREs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's just a lot of times like that where me me and me and Petey got close. But yeah. Yeah, so we got back. I remember talking to him about the res. Um, and you, you've been to the res a couple of times, right? A bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Up there. What, what did you think of it? Like, it's, I think it's awesome. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna lead into. I told him, well, I say, one day I'm gonna take you to the res, bro. Yeah. And it happened. PD spent. I don't know how many trips you came to the res so far. I remember someone, someone at the end said to me, they're like, "Oh, your blues friend." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, he must really like you to to bring up around here and hang out and." And drinking on here, I was like, "Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're bros." What he, all did you get to see? Did you go to a feast or anything? Yeah, I took him to the feast. Yeah, I did. I did go. I took him to the forty nine. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So he, so he, has he been to the res enough to play the um, ten fun questions of the res at the end of the, of the show? He's eat, he's eating at Old Road, but he hasn't eaten at LA. ELA. Oh, okay, yeah. So and um, there's a, he might be able to answer some of the, some of the questions. Might have to tailor them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, That's cool. maybe. Yeah, but um, so yeah, we talked about him coming coming back home and uh, spending a little bit of time on the reservation. And he's like, "Yeah, I want to do it. I'm interested because um, Petey's he's very interested in in the way um, cultures work around the yeah. world. That's like one of his biggest fascinations. 
And he's definitely one of the most appreciative people I've ever brought around, mm-hmm. you know. And I wouldn't have just brought anybody by that wouldn't have been um, capable of appreciating our culture the way he does. Yeah. He, he's asked all the questions and wonders why everything's happening the way it is. And most, a lot of the times, I don't even know the answer, but I try my best to help help him and, and find the right answers. And he's been around so much, he's kind of comfortable. He would visit me in Crucis and go to the res by himself. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I went a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I had to go on the mountain. He was like, I uh, hate the desert. I'm always like, damn, we're, you're in Las Cruces, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's so I'd be, going to, I'd be going to class all week and, and he'd go take time out there. But um, what's what do you think is is like your favorite part about visiting the reservation? Where do you like to go or who do you like to see? I like to socialize. Yeah. I like to go to the inn, socialize. Uh, probably the biggest thing is just like the weather. Being on the mountain, especially growing up in Southern California, I hate the heat. I hate the desert. Mm-hmm. I like mountains and snow. I'm always trying to come out here during the winter. Yeah. Like, I got to come out when there's snow. Let me know when it snows out there. But that's probably it. Yeah. Um, he, he took off a few times without me, like I was saying, and he would go visit like my own, my uncle and my friends. And um, he just made he just made himself at home. Um, I remember taking him down out to the feast and it was late at night. And we were walking, walking through the Oh, yeah, I was going to tell the story, too. <laughs> Somebody goes... Hey, uh, hey, Petey. No, he goes, no, they go, they go, hey, Blue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they call us in the dark, and I walked over to see who it was, and it was one of my friends, and I was like, how did you know I was, that was me walking in the dark? And he goes, oh, yeah, I seen your big white buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew your big white friend. <laughs> I knew you were with him. But, yeah, so he, he got he got real familiar with uh, with the reservation and stuff. We, we've we we've been through a lot together up to this point. We've been friend, friends for how many years now? Was it coming up on 10? What year is it? No, it's it's got to be like eight years, nine at, years. At least. So. Close close for eight years. Yeah. Known each other probably nine, close to ten. And uh, he's actually really, really good with, with history and stuff like that. Mm. So he ended up reading a little bit about um, some of uh, the areas that the Apaches were occupying. Yeah, and, well, well, Empire of the Summer Moon, that's about the Comanche, but you know those, those histories are kind of intertwined quite a bit. So there's a lot about the Apache in there. I thought it was fascinating. Oh, really? What was the most interesting thing that you... Uh, thought about the I didn't I didn't like the how pr- prolific and how skilled the hand-to-hand combat and horse riding oh really yeah I guess the success of those that those two tribes hinged a lot on the introduction of the horse and their ability to adapt and learn on them a lot faster than all the other tribes uh-huh. cover more ground and you know their the amount of land they controlled you know going up tenfold because they can get there quicker basically you know yeah and I thought that was by far the most fascinating. They were, I guess, they had they had such dominion over the Southwest that even the Spanish, um, the Spanish in control of Mexico, ceded a lot of the territory. Uh-huh. They just bailed, like we can't we can't control this area. Oh yeah, we can't gain dominion, so we'll just bail out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You said you saw the the ceremony, the feast, a little bit. Um, yeah. Did, what did you think about that? I thought it was cool. Yeah. I th- I really did. I liked it a lot. Have you ever seen anything like that, like back in California oh, no. or anything? No. no. Yeah, and um, you no, s- we don't have traditions. In that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't you know, like Christmas, like Halloween and stuff. But yeah. so, uh, what religion are you? Or what? Christian. You're Christian. Yeah. 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 I grew up in the Church of Christ. Oh, okay. My grandpa was a Church of Christ preacher. Uh huh. So that's I grew up going to Church of Christ. Yeah. Non-denominational. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So what do you believe? What do you believe now? Is that that you're still that or same? Yeah, still same. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I've, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, I mentioned this is pretty common, the increased importance in the Christian faith, especially as it ties to a, um, 
like unifying cultural heritage yeah. that people have to unify behind, you know? Yeah. And uh, if you don't have that, people just start to like chop in a line of ants. They start to scatter. Uh-huh. And I didn't used to believe that quite as much, but it's yeah. getting a little stronger. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it was pretty awesome watching him come, come through. Uh-huh. I didn't do a very good job of explaining a lot of things to him. So I had to kind of just answer his questions as they came up. Um, I, that's the first time I ever brought a guest over and uh-huh. stuff. So my, my relationship with um, PD in, in the army was, was a lot different than all my, re- my relationship back home. When I come home and I spend a lot of time on the res, that's kind of the accent that I start picking up. I get that res accent. Mm-hmm. I start um, using terms that nobody else knows in the, in the real world. Like, did I ever have to describe to you the term Eddie? <laughs> I did ask, but he like, just told me it's like some people that I, we both knew and described them as being like that way. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I get it. So it's, it's kind of like, like a social... Um, I forgot how I, how I brought it up one time, but it's like a... I had to describe Eddie because he was like saying, "What? Why do you guys keep saying the word Eddie? What does that even mean?" Yeah. And I was like, it's, "It's like somebody with no shame. It's like a weird um, social thing. You it's got like you, a shameless fool that just yeah. like <laughs> he comes and asks barrels into stuff in he situations. Like, it's like someone that just walks in your house and starts digging in your fridge right away. I guess. Oh shit, that's me. I'm Eddie. Yeah. So yeah, there's, it was cool to see someone from the outside come in like that. But uh-huh. um, I wouldn't have brought anybody else in that I felt like would have been disrespectful to the culture because when I was out there in the military, and this is where I think the conversation is going to take a great turn. Um, he was real fascinated with my, my potential to succeed and why I was so motivated because he felt like I'm Apache and I shouldn't have been that eager to be signing up for u.s forces you know yeah, yeah. And, so, and i have i, I kind of did like a little brief um why how i felt on apache serving for the military even though yeah. people say like why should i fight for my government type deal uh-huh. and um that was that, that was in the first episode i think yeah but so the way i explained it to pd again we just had this discussion i think last uh, a few days ago or mm-hmm. something and i was talking about like you know what like and i told them then like if, if people are going to be fighting for a country like I don't, I don't see why Apaches have to sit on the sidelines and let um, everybody else, all the other races, all the other cultures, and everybody else fight for us, too. Yeah. I feel like Apaches, we should be utilizing our skills up front and fighting along with them, too, because whether we like it or not, we're part of this country. Yeah. And, and if, if this country was ever lost to any other country, we would probably lose all the reservations right yeah. now. we got a pretty sweet deal going on where we're, we're a tribe within a tribe. Definitely. I mean, we're a, tri- we're a country within a country. And I was like thinking, we should be first people signing up to fight that war. We should be the warriors. We yeah. shouldn't be on the sidelines. We're not bench warmers, you know. Yeah. Like let me fight because that's what I want to do. I'm I'm a warrior at heart, and I want to be the guy on the front lines. And and it, and it really made me think about who I am as a person, um, who I am as a person that grew up on a reservation. Because there was guys like like PD out there asking me questions. He was like, dude, like um, I'm not trying to sound rude or anything, but what are you doing? And I was like, you know, like what do you mean? He's like, you know, you're. You're on, you're on the enemy's team. And, and I didn't see it that way. I just felt like I want my chance to fight too. Yeah. I want to be on the front too, protecting my reservation. Whether I'm fighting for the government or not, I'm still fighting for my reservation. Yeah. You know, and, and representing the Apache people as I go out there and, and um, attempt to protect what, what's ours, you know. Yeah. And you're not necessarily going out there protecting our freedom. It's not like if we won that war or lost that war, we would lose our freedom. But it's I remember like, I used to like, joke over there, I'm like... These are the people we're supposed to be afraid of. These people <laughs> oh, really? are like two hundred years away from the technology to getting to us. 
Oh, we yeah. don't even have barely have electricity out there. I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? Yeah, you know. <laughs> but it, it's it's the ideology and it's the concepts that go with it. It's it's, it's how you view the bigger problem, mm-hmm. and it, and it's got to extend beyond the fact that you're like, oh, why should I fight for my government? My government wouldn't fight for me. You yeah. got you got to look past that. You yeah. got to look at the big picture and, and what what you can really lose if you don't decide to do something about it and be the difference. You know, and it's talking to it's it and it's talking to guys like um, Richard or Petey is the reason why I'm very conscious of that of that idea and who I am as a person because when I was there he questioned me he asked me questions about the reservations and and how I felt about about fighting with, with you know quote the white man yeah. you know and stuff like that and um, he helped me grow as a person with a lot of his concepts because I realized early on he's um very intelligent he's very uh, uh, observant and 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 it helped bring a lot of a lot of that out of me too so yeah, well, gr- yeah, growing up, you'd, when you learn about the the American Indian Wars or Native Wars or what, I forget what they call them, but you don't learn a very nuanced, like, historical perspective. You learn that basically it was just one side, whole slaughter. Yeah. And so when I go- join the Army and I meet an Indian, uh-huh. I go, what are you doing on this team? <laughs> You know, it was. I asked respectfully. I I hope, but tactfully, but, but yeah, it was just like weird. It was like it's been pitched to me that we're, and I don't have harbor any ill will, but it's been pitched to me that you know you guys should be pretty sore, not you know join up with us. Yeah. He said, "Well, it's a warrior culture," you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, That's cool. And so we, you know, I, you know, I want to respect that tradition. So. And I and I talked about it like hundreds of times. One of the things I'm most proud of is. Um, I wasn't accepted into the infantry to begin with because uh-huh. um, I'm colorblind. Uh-huh. And they said that I had to pick another job. Like, And I was like, no, I don't. I, all I want to do with my life is is join on the front line. I yeah. want to fire my gun and be a warrior because that's, you know, that's what our Apache people do. Yeah. I couldn't sign up and be support or uh-huh. a paper pusher. I wouldn't be proud of myself. And I, I wouldn't, and, you know, I always felt like a warrior growing up. And that was always like my lifestyle. Yeah. And I was raised by a warrior. And... I felt like that was my calling and stuff. So That's awesome. I, was, I was always very proud to be in the, in the infantry and, and making that big fight for the big picture and um, not trying to hold it. Because eventually we're all going to have to you know, get along. Maybe we don't have to. Yeah. But I feel like um, the more the more that we get along, the better. Because that stuff's in the past. We have no control over it. Like guys like me that's born in this generation, uh-huh. we have no control over it. So um, You had never met a Native American before? I had. Oh, yeah. But... Um, you know, there's reservations around us. Yeah. But it's the same association everybody else makes. It's, you know, it's the reservation and casinos. Uh-huh. You know, and it's no Indians went to my school that oh, I know really? of. I'm Actually, you know, that's not true. I asked one lady, she was wearing, I was telling you this the other day. <laughs> Tell the girl, story, man. Tell the story. This girl, she was, she was uh, wearing a shirt and it said, like, fry bread on it. Uh-huh. And I was like, fry bread? What's that? Uh-huh. I just was asking her, like, she's like, and she, man, she blew me off. She was real rude. And that was, like, my only experience. <laughs> in California. It's like, why are you acting like that? It's just a question. <laughs> and then Petey came Ask to... Ask me what a hamburger is. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Petey came to Mescalero, uh, and he got fed all kinds of food. Yeah. He ate so much food, and then he was like, dude, you're killing my diet out here. Every time I come, like, <laughs> what, what was your favorite? <laughs> um, what was it that Tiffany made? I think she That's... made you, um, she made Indian tacos. Oh, yeah. I think it was out of the fry bread and all no, the chili the and all the cheese and stuff on top. So, well, yeah, I mean that's good too. Oh yeah, make that. that Are you talking soup. about? She made pasoli. Pasoli, that's what, yeah. But like the fry bread and chili, I guess that's, oh, that's really good. Well, you eat it fresh. Having the fry bread fresh at the feast, that was yeah, yeah, pretty damn good. 
there's a there's a certain taste that you get when you pull them out of that basket. Yeah. You can't you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah. But um, Petey's always been like real respectful, but he's brought up like a lot of a lot of weird issues that should that you know in, with most cult, with most natives that where we're from wouldn't be as receptive of that kind of conversation. Like, like what? Like like that was the main one. Um, what are you doing fighting with the white man? Do you yeah. feel do you feel bitter that um you guys have to live on reservations? Do you feel bitter about your culture? Do you feel like he always he was always asking all these questions. He's just real curious as a person. So like the numbers are dwindling. Yeah. And so it's like even though I'm not Indian, that I have like this it's like this existential dread about. So I'm a big history buff, and I've done. My dad's taken me around, not around the world, but to a bunch of different places, and um, and it's, it was always it was always depressing to me and sad to read about, like uh, during Caesar's Gallic Wars, there's a tribe called the Helvetii, uh-huh. and about four hundred thousand in the tribe, we completely wiped them. Helvetii, Google that, but I'm pretty sure that almost a hundred percent of the entire uh, Gallic tribe was completely eliminated. Uh-huh. I think, wow, that's so sad. A whole genetic line, yeah, you know. Cast of the wind. We don't know much about their, you know, their gods or their culture. We do some through some, you know, some peripheral you know, tribes that were kind of similar. But I see like, uh, a, you know, a group dwindling out like that. And it like makes me anxious, you know. And I would ask, you know, I just ask. I was always, I remember at the beginning, I was always asking like, how many, how many members are there and how many tribes are there and, you know, do people still speak the languages and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, you know possibly invasive questions but <laughs> yeah but i'm i'm uh pathologically curious so yeah so something that he always brings up to me is like he's like you guys gotta marry into the tribe like you guys gotta if you're from the reservation you need to try to keep that alive because yeah i gotta boost those numbers that's <laughs> what well, it is well, it well, a lot of like, us are related though that's like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's what makes it kind of hard yeah yeah but eventually i think every culture and every tribe is gonna you know just kind of breed out yeah you look sad at, i don't I hundreds don't like of that. years from now thousands of years from now I yeah, I don't want it to happen to my group. I don't want it to happen to anyone's group. Yeah, I don't like that. I think it is. I think it's going to the the um, you know, people are so uh, socially connected now. You know, we're we're all over the place. We travel. We go to bars. We meet different races. Yeah, and, yeah. And it just it just kind of happens. But um, how do you feel about so? What's your what's your culture line? How, my what? What where do you come from? What's your bloodline? Oh, culturally. Yeah. Um, my 23 and me said three quarters Scots Irish, but my dad's family's from uh, Denmark. Wow. So I still have cousins over there. My mom's side goes mostly Irish, and that dates back to I remember my dad was trying to was looking into it for us kids, and uh, he was trying to figure out my grandma's ancestry. And she's yeah. Irish. Uh-huh. Last name is Tinsley, and he was trying to look it up. He couldn't find anything about it. So he goes in and he asks her. He's like, uh, he's like, I don't, know if, I can't find any record of the Tinsley's getting here. This and that. And she said sarcastically, she didn't like her family. Um, she said, well, did you check the prison ships? <laughs> and so he's like, no, he checked them. And sure enough, wow. you know, her side came over on the, you know, prison ships from Ireland. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's where most of our, of course, they Irish. Have the Danish side. Yeah, that's Scots, cool. Irish. And I'm actually Danish. a little bit of Irish as well. Oh, yeah. On my, my mom's side. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Well, they, they spread around quite a bit yeah. early on. But what was your, um, what was your best memory of like hanging out with like the guys and the friends and stuff like that? What, whenever, so when I'm home. I think I I um, reminisce a lot about all of our old friends, all of our old times. But um, do you miss like the group that we used to have? Do you miss? Are Are you glad you got out of the military? Like, what do you? How do you feel about being out? Yeah, well, I'm definitely glad I got out. Um, the people that know me pretty well are always kind of like surprised. I have kind of like an not obtuse, but like a, 
very oppositional behavior, especially with any kind of authority figure. And so, I mean, where do you not want to go if you have that kind of personality as the military? Uh-huh. But I, I thought it was like a, as like a, a, a duty, you know, to do my four years and get out. Oh, Tenth okay. class was to do five. I broke my back on a jump. Oh wow! My last jump, obviously. And oh, what uh, kind of jump? Like airborne jump. Oh, okay. Yeah, parachute jump. So I broke my back and. Um, and so I ended up getting med boarded for that. They said, well, you can stay in and keep jumping or you can get out. And I was like, well, I'm not going to keep jumping, but, um, so I got up, but I'm definitely glad I did. Uh-huh. Um, I see it as like a, do your time. You know, it's good for, especially for males to go in and learn what it means to be truly tired and truly hungry and truly desperate, you know, and have to rely on yourself when you first leave, you know, your parents aren't there, your friends aren't there. And everybody else is trying to stay out of the way. Yeah. Too. No one's helping you. It's important for a man to learn that. Mm-hmm. But past that, what are you doing staying in? You're just wasting time. You're sucking up tax money. You mm-hmm. know, 99% of the people that join need to do four years and get out. That's how I felt about myself. Oh, really? So I just decided to get out and do whatever it is I was going to do. But for me, I would I miss those times. For me, I would have definitely stayed and did 20. I loved the life. You should have, man. You're killing it. <laughs> earlier, earlier was, you know, you're talking about like, Oh, well, we, we took different paths. It's like, that's a good way. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> we were two completely different soldiers. Oh, really? At yeah, he was a good yeah. soldier. You were a good soldier. On deployment. When you were a kid, <laughs> did you always think you would join the military? Did you always have dreams of doing that? Or what did you want I, to be? I thought about it a lot. When I was yeah. little, I wanted to be, my two were fireman and architect uh-huh. when I was little. And so I do construction now, so I guess, yeah, kind of similar. Yeah. But, um... As I, as I, my dad fomented a, um, a love of history, and as I got to learning about it, my favorite always early on was like Greek history and Spartan history, and you know how it was a warrior culture and this and that, and you know it kind of idealized, not necessarily dying in combat, that's part of it, but you know, s- serving a purpose in that sense, you know, like the, you know, the pinnacle of like a man's contribution it seemed like to me yeah and so i just i always i always you know it got stronger as i got older not always i should say but yeah got stronger as i got older to join yeah that's awesome yeah so while we're, while we're in um pd had a i don't want to like put you down in any way but he had like um a, a way for i guess he had a reputation for being like a rebel oh really yeah and in, in and the it, military or in in you're growing well, up. Well, yeah, in the military. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everywhere, but yeah. And it was... It was Non-con- non-conforming is, is more or less. I'm not looking for trouble, but... He's like more... I he, won't listen. He's like yeah. always thinking about the bigger idea of things, like the moral behind it. Uh-huh. And so um, he's not the type of person that you can like force or strong arm into like a, into a crappy situation. Uh-huh. Because if the idea behind it was... He, if the idea behind what was happening was a bad one, and I always felt like PD was, um, I looked up to him in a lot of ways because of this, but he, he never did anything just to, or just because he was being told if it felt wrong, he would always like speak out yeah, and be like, wait, well, so you're telling me the only reason we're doing this is because um, some guy is going to be walking through here next week and he might not even walk by our, our area mm-hmm. and we could be training or doing other things. And he always like looked at that big picture. And I think your, your biggest problem, PD, with it, was you had a you had a big issue with just doing things because, like, for some guy to walk by and look at, like if yeah. it didn't serve like a real purpose. I'm not doing busy work. Yeah, I'm not gonna do. I mean, I did a lot of it there, but it was. He would. Complaint. You would. <laughs> you would rather have been either out in the woods training, or working on your gun or your skills or whatever, 
But when it came to like going out and doing these weird little army gigs, like these, they're they're called I guess army games or you know yeah. this. It, you have all, to curse to describe them. But the, you know the yeah you it? do army games. I'm trying to like figure out to the mess way with like, your head. You can go ahead. And, yeah, go ahead. And, I'll just bleep it out. Yeah. So it's like a bunch of. Bullshit. That's all it is. Like, uh-huh. army, it's like mind, a bunch of mind games. People call it, you know, mind, pe- turn on mind, you, you know. People oh. call it fuckery. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, dumb yeah. Like, they just, there's like a lot of good ways to describe it with curse words because uh-huh. that's exactly what it felt like at times. You would spend like a week um, called doing, it's doing area beautification where you're just working. This He's shaking his head because he's already, what like, is that? This is stupid. Area beautification is yard work. Oh. <laughs> but it's, it's like punishment work too. When I, like the first week I was there, I had this um, this knife that was given to me as a gift, you know, to take in the military with me. Yeah. And they're trying to get me to like clean. Like the first week, I'm like, all right, just play it, play it right. Don't get on anyone's radar. <laughs> Try to be gray, you know. And they're like, oh, we need you to scrape the weeds out of this, out of these, you know, cracks in the concrete. I'm like, okay, you know. They're like, we'll just use your Gerber. Uh-huh. No, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna ruin it. Yeah. This is mine. Are you giving me ninety? Are you giving me ninety dollars? Are you going to give me another engraved nice thing? Like little stupid stuff like that where it's like, you know, do I ruin the knife or not? Early on, it was like little stuff like that constantly. Yeah. And, you know, and I took a lot of I took a lot of notes from him because of um, like I had a large amount of respect for that. And I wasn't that way to like I have to admit, like when I first joined, I did everything I was told. I And I didn't I didn't care if I was being degraded. I didn't care if it was wrong. I just listened and um, I didn't respect myself for it. After like a year of doing that, being that lifestyle, you know, and seeing uh, PD come in and him always living up to his more, he put his morals first a lot. Yeah. And it was in my eyes, it was very, it was like a very respectful thing because he wasn't going to bend over for anybody. And as long as it was right, if he, if he truly agreed in the plan or respected you, he would do what you told, what you told him to do. And sometimes he'd be like, I'm not going to like this. But I'm going to do it because I respect you and I don't want you to get in trouble. And so he would like know the line and he would... Well, the rank structure for a reason. Yeah. The machine doesn't move if you don't have someone telling someone below them what to do, you know. And mm-hmm. and, so I, and I, was always, I was always a yes man until I met guys like Petey. And he stood up for their, like I said, his his um, his own morals and stuff a lot of yeah. the times. And, and that, that helped me grow as a person. Because when I was in there, I remember I told you before, like I picked up a lot of good traits from everybody I ever met. Yeah, that's definitely something I could say I picked up from PD. Is like, just if you believe in it and if it's right, like as a man, you need to stand up for yourself. Yeah, like don't just take it because they're telling you to. Like, uh-huh. like why? He's never been that kind of guy, and that's that's definitely a quality that I picked up from him. Being like that in the military, would that ever get you in trouble with with stuff? Or? Yeah, because I didn't. I never really had like any disciplinary issues. Like I never got an Article Fifteen. I've been counseled a number of times, but. Um, but they can do that for basically any reason if they just pissed you. Article fifteen or what? Article fifteen. What's that? It's there's was it a um, field grade and then what's the other one? But it's yeah. like yeah, field it's grade like and company a, grade. Like official. There's different levels punishment. of punishment. They can take money from you. They can put you um, on. It's the army's was legal. Like a forty-five and forty-five, or what was it called? I never yeah. had to do it, but it's the it's the army's legal system. Yeah. So like instead of going to jail, they would like take process pay, you. you know? oh. They take pay away from you. Make you go do yard work. Remember, we were talking about area yeah, yeah. That could be one of your punishments. It's on the record, as opposed to just someone just making you do something. You know that sucks. Uh-huh. And if you, you know, get it's a, on the record, if you get enough of those, they can take away your rank, and uh-huh. or they can kick you out of the military. Yeah, yeah. So that's how they control 
Um, but I never, but I never had, I never had disciplinary issues like that. In my opinion, which is kind of like a, you know, the rose-colored glasses kind of, you know, opinion of myself, was it was not that I couldn't do what uh, I was told, like I wouldn't do what I was told, I was incompetent. It was that they knew that if they gave me an order that I had a problem with, uh-huh. I would contest it or I would have a problem with it. And you don't want to deal with that. Yeah. You're in charge, you're dealing with a bunch of BS, and you don't want some some stupid, you know, arrogant you know, whatever try-hard soldier being like, well, why am I doing this? It's like, you just do it. You know, uh-huh. so I can see from their position, of course, but for me, it was always a, like a, a principle thing. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of, you know, I kind of, uh, it was a little bit abrasive with some of the NCOs, but for the most part, it wasn't usually an issue. Once they got to know me, they usually got to like me, but, yeah. <laughs> but definitely yeah, had, definitely had that reputation for sure. And, and I think it's a very respectable trait to have because, um, once I kind of started picking up on that from you, um, after being around you for so long, like I didn't, any, in any time, like we were going through a situation where I needed to um, not act out, but stand up for myself, I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want you to know I was in that situation because I knew what your answer was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't trying to do, wasn't trying to impress you, you know, but I would secretly try to stand up for myself after spending a lot of time with you and stuff like that. Because yeah. I, I always, um, I think before that, like always being a yes man when you're in the military is very degrading. Really? Yeah. Because people take advantage of you. They know you're going to do the job. Um, they know that, um, you'll, you'll spend all the extra hours when everybody else went home to make sure that this other job gets done. You just get taken advantage of big time and people don't really have a lot of respect for you. Um, uh-huh. when you, when you become that guy, it's a fine line to walk. You don't want to piss off the wrong people. Yeah. Because you have to simultaneously gain the respect of your superiors who want to make sure that you're like a go-getter, got it done, and the people following you who want to see you sticking out for them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So good luck. However, you try to balance those two, good luck. Wow. Yeah. So you do need a balance of both. You need to go against the grain when you need to, and then you need to do what you're told whenever the time's right, you know. So that was the joke, like the best NCO, best NCOs all had like a DUI or something, or <laughs> yeah, some kind really? of some rough patch they had to go through. You know, to, to, to learn both sides. Uh-huh. But um, when I when I learned that quality and I was able to start speaking up against things that I felt like were wrong, uh-huh. I I definitely my career took off as a as a leader for sure. Um, a lot of people would come up to me and tell me like, "Hey man, you're the you're the best leader I ever had. Thank you for looking out for me. Thank you for teaching me how to be a soldier." Like um, during my last few last couple of years in the military, um, I definitely blossomed into um, who I am right now. And I carried all those traits with me out of the military. So everything that I learned from everybody that was ever good to me or I respected, I always tried to take that one thing from them and take it with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And so like a lot of people might think like, oh, Shendo just got out and now he just he dumped all of his military career down the drain. That's not that's not true. Um, I, I got I felt like I was so powerful and so effective with everything that I learned in the military that I would dominate the civilian world, make more money, be with my family, see my kids more, see my son more, spend more time with him. I just felt like if I could crush the army the way I'm doing it right now, what's going to stop me from crushing the civilian world with everything I've learned here? Yeah. And so I've applied all those traits and all those leadership qualities to uh, real world, and I feel like I've been doing pretty well for myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, somebody told me that, I think it was McKinsey, Sir McKinsey, he was like, Shendo, you're not going to be a leader like I'm a leader. 
you're not going to be a leader like your team leader was a leader. He's like, what you need to do is take all the best things from every good person that you know and make that person become you. He's like, just learn something good from everyone you come across. Uh-huh. And he's like, for me, I know you don't agree with me on everything, but take all the good things from me and leave all the bad out and shape yourself into the leader that you want to become. And so I took like, and I even took things from Petey. And that was definitely one of the, one of the things is like, you know, it's, it's okay to stand up for yourself. And I was afraid to do it in the beginning, uh, you know, afraid of getting in trouble. But as time went yeah, people on, people see it as backbone. They're not going to try to push you around uh, or try to not not shovel all the shit in your direction. And it's surprising when you get your way. It's very surprising. Like for me, it was mm-hmm. like the first time I spoke up against leadership. I was like, I felt like I was doing, I was like being a, a disservice to the military. Like I was being disobedient, and it felt wrong. But whenever I got my way and people respected that, I was like, whoa. Like this type of backbone is powerful. Every man should learn learn it this way, you know, because realizing I could fly was like a huge um, growth spurt for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the last and the less often you play that card, the more effective it is when you do play it. Yeah. You know, very yeah, that's, that's one of the um, more true statements, because people see you always going against the grain. You're kind of just like a dirtbag. Yeah. yeah, yeah you're, just, just, you're just complaining. He just uh-huh. doesn't want to listen. He's just and you see that all the time in the in the military. You see guys that are constantly throwing up a big fuss in the front of a crowd. You know, are you are you serious? We gotta do this, and they just think they you know look cool, and and then you get them like off out of the spotlight, and you see them like laying down behind a tree, like you're not you're not really what you say you are. You're just putting on a show in front of people. Oh, you know, so you can't you don't want to become that guy, but. Um, definitely. I, I feel like if anybody ever wants to grow up, man, you just join the military. Yeah. You'll, you'll run into dudes like Petey. You'll run into my old leadership, like, um, Sergeant Kennedy, Sergeant McKenzie, Sergeant like, McKelvey, Sergeant McKelvey, all respectable people. Yeah. And you pick up all the good traits from all the things that they've ever taught you. And you apply it to life, whether you become, whether you become a good soldier or not, you choose to get out like I did and Petey did, like it, it stays with you forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, um, I'm just I'm glad I met people like like PD in there and and I was able to grow from it. There's um this there are very few times whenever you get to run into people that you served with because everyone lives all over the country. But whenever you get like these this connection that me and PD have where we get to hang out, how many times were you visiting me like twice a year until last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Last year was the first time I didn't come out. Yeah, he spent a lot of time been here. Like two weeks. Two weeks, twice a year. I was spending about a month out here. It was the first time <laughs> yeah. you went, uh, started coming to New Mexico was. Yo, yeah, yeah, 2016. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. What was it um, when I surprised you at your dance? Um, yeah, Larry. Was that 2014, 15? Yeah. So, um, yeah, 2014. This is when I got out. I was driving back. No, because was I? I was out of the. Oh no, I flew too. back. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But anyway, 2016, mm-hmm. Larry threw me a surprise dance for coming getting out of the army. Right. Oh yeah. And she did it good. I was actually surprised. I had no idea. Where was it at? It was at the. Um, it's like a hotel. Yeah, the hotel down in Redoso, the convention. No. Oh, the lodge. The lodge. Yes. Oh. Okay. Uh, and who was the DJ? Oh, it was uh, her friend. <laughs> they were like, "Don't, don't hire what Chris." The hell, man? <laughs> no, um, one of one of my friends that it, uh, Alaire's best friend's husband did. It. I, I don't know if we even charged her for it or not. Um, they said you don't work for free, so we. Nah, don't. hell no. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I walk into this dance. Everyone's uh-huh. like, surprise, and it was a big deal. And I truly was surprised. And and Petey was there. Oh wow! That yeah. night, and uh-huh. he just walked into this restaurant before that happened. And he's like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And I was like, "What the heck?" Yeah, I was parking yeah. a thirty foot trailer out front. I had the, I had F two K Bob's. 
Oh, <laughs> I had to pull it through, and I was trying to back it up. I'm like, this isn't, this is, this is not inconspicuous. He's for sure seen me. <laughs> no, I didn't, because I was yeah. like, but anyway, you were so. driving a what? You were driving a trailer. Uh, a big tow behind trailer. Yeah. Oh. I had okay. all my stuff because I had gotten oh. out and I had flown back uh-huh. to North Carolina to pick up, you know, a bunch of my stuff and then drive back. Uh-huh. So I was, it was just at the the perfect amount of time, perfect yeah. timing that I was driving back when they had the, the surprise. So. But yeah, That's so cool. 2016, he started coming around, uh, and yeah. he spent, what was the longest spurt you you spent on the reservation? Oh, probably two weeks. Two weeks? It might have been that trip. I thought it was, a, I thought you were there for like almost a month. No. You just kept extending total for, your stay. Total for the year. Oh, okay. But, yeah, and uh, what something I wanted to ask, like what, what your experience was when you when you hit the reservation, were you kind of thrown off by the I way thought, we talk and our accent and... Um. I was thrown off by like not having any hostility towards me. I thought for sure there was going to be hostility. I was nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nervous. Not too nervous. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big guy. But uh, but yeah, I was a little bit nervous that there might be hostility. Oh, so right. I want to make sure I play the part and don't step on any toes and stuff like that. But everybody was super accommodating. Yeah. And I'm a very social person. I like to drink probably too much. And <laughs> and so I'm, you know, loud and and uh, and hanging out down at the the uh, the inn. Yeah. Everybody was super nice. You know, I'm walking around talking to everyone. I loved it. That's cool. Could you tell, when you first met Blue, could you tell he had an accent or if he even had one? No, I couldn't tell. No? No. no. We used to make jokes on deployment from uh, uh, from Smoke Signals. You could see like the <laughs> yeah. accent in there for who that character is. But but um, So we would do that. I would do that accent like as a joke. Uh, on stuff. deployment. But not with him. I didn't notice with him. On oh, deployment, no. I made him watch Smoke Signals. Oh. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is the best movie of all time. I talked him up on the movie. He thought it was going to be so good. And he was like, what's me the and point? Lacey were, <laughs> me and Sergeant Lacey were like, what is this about? <laughs> just go on a road trip and that's it. And then it was over. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? And they're like, oh. It was trash. <laughs> Me and Sergeant Lacey, like, every day after that, we're always like, hey, Shendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so he, uh, Petey spent so much time there that some um, sometimes people just start asking about him, like, where's yeah. where's Petey and stuff? Where's the man with the red beard? I think, yeah. um, didn't someone say they're going to marry you or something? Some, one of my in-laws said they're going to marry you. But anyway. I don't know, man. I've gotten so many offers since I've been here. I yeah, yeah. Why haven't you? Why haven't you? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get some some of that sweet land, but yeah. I haven't got, no, I haven't got any offers, but, uh, you know. What do you, um, what are, what are one of the best things you eat besides fry bread? What, what restaurants did you enjoy when you went to the reservation? Because I've taken you, I've taken you almost all over to all the places. You've been to Old Road. You've eaten at the resort. That's one down towards the bottom of the mountain, right? Yeah, that one's that down. one's my favorite by far. Is it? Yeah. Okay, what, so which one? That, that that kind of peaking your questions a little bit. He said Old Road is his favorite. Oh, okay. yeah. But um, that's and you were talking to us about like why is there a lot of Mexican food mixed in with our diet? Yeah. And I couldn't really explain it. I was like, I, I don't know. I think we just kind of adopted it's like Mexico, a lot of food. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a Spanish influence, food. I imagine, right? Yeah. yeah, so he asked me some of the questions. And I was like, damn, why is there a I lot think of about Mexican the food? Well, well, the story of fry bread, you've heard that before, right? I've never heard the story we, of fry bread. I guess uh, so Apache has captured some Mexicans and women, and they taught they taught them how to make fry bread back way Wait, back who taught who how to make fry bread? <laughs> the Mex- it was a Mexican thing. It was a sopapilla. But, oh, so, oh but, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Apaches just perfected it. We, we perfected just, it, or we, we ruined sopapilla, and then we had fry bread as... <laughs> and then just we pretended did, as like you did. Like, look, just, look what I made, and I invented this. Just strut around like it's better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, uh, we were talking last night, we were talking about one of the most scary times you've ever... One of the most scary, scariest scenarios you've ever been in. And it was um, jumping, right? 
Oh yeah, the first, first the first jump. Oh, hands lot, down. I'll start jittering now. A parachute. Talking yeah. about it, I'm comfortable talking about it now. But in the military, everyone's a bunch of tough guys, man. I was like, oh man, I wasn't scared my first time. I, just I was like, that, that was easy. Yeah. I was like shaking, <laughs> yeah. holding down your puke. Yeah. No. Um. So, I, I think I told you this before. The first time I ever jumped from a plane, that was the only time I've ever shaken out of fear. I've never been so afraid in my life where I've shaken. Yeah, you always read that, and I was like, I've never been. Why? Is it physically shaking? Why are you trembling? What is this word, tremble? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm walking to the plane for my first jump. And this girl is so, this girl's in front of me, this small chick. She's like four, ten maybe, five foot. She's <laughs> tiny. She's a little girl. And she just vomits on the way to the plane. Uh-huh. She's so scared. Uh-huh. She's throwing up and she's still walking while throwing up. And she I'm, should be. What is she doing? I'm trying we'll to, talk about that later. I'm trying to get out of Dodge her throw up because the, the plane's pushing <laughs> a lot of air back and I'm dodging this throw up on the way and everyone's face is pale. Everyone's totally quiet too. Like you can tell they're very much into themselves right then. They're just like, Everyone's looking down. And Everyone's, this is the first time everybody's going to be jumping out of a yeah. plane with a yeah. parachute. Yeah, because yeah. you get out of you get out of um, basic training and you yeah. just drive down the street. And all right, oh. well, here's your next destination. Welcome to Airborne School. Now these guys are going to yell at you. Now these guys are going to yell at you. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so I'm walking to the plane. I get in the plane. Everyone's everyone is terrified. People are shaking. People are, they give you these bags to throw up in because they know everyone's so nervous. And um, there, the first time that door opened up and the wind started blowing. I mean, I was panicking. I felt like my heart was going to beat through my chest, man. And everyone stands up and everyone's yelling. Everyone's wise. Everyone, there's Dude, like, when they first open the doors, though, like it's it's super cold. Well, this is my first jump. I guess people did jump at different times, but it was in December and it was super, super early in the morning. And, uh, and we, you know, it's already cold walking onto the, onto the plane. And as they start to, you know, gain altitude, it's getting even colder. You're sitting there and you're just shaking like crazy. <laughs> And uh, and it's completely pitched. There's no lights inside. There's you know red and green lights, but and you, know, you kind of see them go up and down. But uh, but there's no lights. And then all of a sudden, the doors open. Uh-huh. And it's I won't do it on this sensitive mic, but it's it's super loud. Oh, okay. it's, it's like a jet going on going past over your head. Yeah. And, but you still can't see anything, so you can't see outside. You just hear the outside. Yeah. And well, that made it real. I was like, we have to jump into that, <laughs> like. Yeah. Tor- How torrent. was that experience when you it's finally like jumping into a tornado? When you finally leap, yeah. When you finally leap, and then how do you know when to pull the? How do you know when to pull the? Well, you don't the, pull it. Or yeah, what do you? How do you know? Or what do you do? Does, well, you, you, you jump master here. You know. <laughs> so, if if somebody would have told me that day, I'll going be describing out, like it's a yellow cord that pulls <laughs> on a thing. If somebody would have told me that day that I was jumping, uh-huh. they would have been like, "Hey, Shendo, look into, look at this guy running this jump right now." He's called the jump master. Eventually, uh-huh. that's going to be you. Uh-huh. I would have told you to like get the hell out of here. Like, yeah. I am never going to become the guy that runs this operation. I am so scared right now. Uh-huh. Like I'm terrified. I will never become that guy. Because first of all, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah, I do not like even like being on a house. And then I get into this plane and I'm um, 800 to 1,000 feet, depending on what parachute you have ab- above the ground, flying at 90 knots. And I'm going to jump out. I was like, get out of here, man. I'm not going to be this guy. So eventually I became a jump master and I was running those operations. I was the one getting people on the plane and getting them out. But um, so we're talking about like what you do and stuff like to when you after you stand up and you jump out, how do you know what to do? Yeah. But you don't really do much, but you really have to focus on. You react to everything. Uh You're not 
you're not proactively really doing anything. You're mostly reacting to a scenario that when, has been when you thrust get upon you. Uh-huh. When <laughs> yeah. you get out, yes. But uh, for the most part, you really have to focus on your exit, how you get to the door, what your action is at the door, and how you kick out away from the door. Uh-huh. Like Those are your main um, goals to take care of at the time. Yeah. So they tell you to stand up and hook up, and then you take your little um, snap hook, your universal sure man (laughs) you snap this thing up to the anchor line opening facing the skin of the aircraft so you get this little snap this little clip you unhook it from your reserve parachute Uh and then you hook it into this anchor line cable and it has and it's a cable that runs from the front of the plane to the back of the plane okay this cable is not going anywhere it's bolted in and you're that little hook is attached to a yellow line that runs to your pack and that parachute is depending on that yellow line being pulled as you jump from the plane. That's like the best way I can describe it, like as simply as possible. Yes, so attached, attached to your bag. How far? Parachute and it just pulls it out. Pulled, yeah. How far do you fall that it finally comes out? Oh, yeah. That's like, a, it depends. So yeah, it depends when, on we first, jump is. when we first started jumping, we were jumping these parachutes called T-10s. And then uh-huh. it went up to t it was T11s, but T11. we never jumped the T11s. They're always having, <laughs> they're always having issues with it. Yeah. So they would the, the the T11s were a lot bigger and they brought you to the ground a lot slower. Which for a guy like me was a, I always was like, if I was if I was halfway through the line, the chalk jumping out, I would hit the ground like at the same time as the first guy. Oh. Okay. I always wanted to jump the T11s because they would let you down a lot easier. Uh-huh. Yeah, the bigger. Like they always par- had malfunctions with them. The bigger parachutes were the newer parachutes, and they were cube like shaped kind of like a weird cube shape. It wasn't like your traditional circle looking parachute like you yeah. see in the old Vietnam pictures or whatever picture. Yeah, you know, yeah old World War Two. World yeah. War Two, yeah. And uh so we kinda had like a mixture, like sometimes you would get the older parachute or sometimes you get that little square cube looking one. But when you get the bigger cube looking parachute, you fall for um, Is it seven seconds? No, it's like you got six seconds and eight seconds, depending on which parachute you have. So some of them, it, and it all depends. It's not like a perfect, like someone has a clicker out there and they're timing. Yeah. So you do like a six to eight second free fall, depending on you know, so how what, fast. So what, what do you do? You pull something, catches. you grab something, or what do you... What so do you... when you, um, so you, you stand up, you hook up your cable to the anchor line cable. Yeah. And then you walk, you start walking towards the door. And you, as you get towards the door, everyone's jumping out in front of you. Uh-huh. You have to lock your arm out and hand off your anchor line to this jump master okay you make eye contact with him he sees you you see him you're looking at each other right in the eyes he takes your your cable from you and he pushes it to the side so that it's out of your way you don't have to worry about that thing wrapping up around one of your body parts all you have to worry about is just having a nice clean exit from the plane and so you hand it off to him you make a nice solid firm um, 90 degree turn to the door and you take a step and you kick out away from it, uh, and you snap into what they call a good tight body position. You have your hands on the ends of your reserve parachute, fingers spread, you're bent over slightly at the waist, you have your knees locked to the rear. <laughs> all okay, this, okay, jump master. All this stuff, right? <laughs> you assume this body position, you fall out, and in in that nice tight body position, you just maintain that. Yeah. And you fall, and you, while you're falling in that body position, you need to count to yourself 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. If you hit that certain number and your parachute is not deployed, it's not behind you, Yeah. you need to go ahead and just pull your reserve parachute. And that'll come out the front from your stomach, and then you'll land on the ground all jacked up and you'll probably break your tailbone. But 
So, so you're basically you're back. You're relying, <laughs> you're relying on the other person to uh, to open your parachute, pretty much. Or no. You, so how remember, does it open? Remember what I was saying about yeah. when you stand up and you hook your little yeah, cable yeah. to attached to the plane. Okay. So, so, so the plane opens it for you. The plane. Does. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because okay. I was like, because what? when you hand it off to him, all that guy is doing, yeah, he's just trying to get that um, anchor line away from you. Uh huh. Because say like you just jumped out and you're holding it in your hand or whatever, there's potential of that anchor line wrapping around your arm. And then you'll just be dangling from the plane. Yeah. It needs to be clear from your body so that when you jump out, um, since it's attached to the plane now, it'll pull your whole parachute out of your pack. Okay. okay. For you. I see. Yeah. It just just rips it out from you. And it it comes out pretty smooth. It's not very violent. Uh It comes out nice and smooth. And then... um, Yeah. it It very rarely goes wrong. Yeah, very rarely goes wrong, but, but when it scary, does, yeah. everybody hears about it, and it's pretty violent. <laughs> yeah, what, what's yeah. that experience like when your parachute finally opens and you're just gliding to the ground? What's what's going through your uh, mind at that point? Euphoric glee. It's what? an absolute. Oh, I can't. That's like describe like the the relief of when you are look up and everything's fine, uh-huh. and you don't have to deploy your reserve. You're not heading for the trees. You know, you're not you're not oscillating real bad. Yeah. And of course, the next part is when you hit the ground and you're fine. Everything's fine. You're not jacked up. You're not hurt in any way. I, I always tell. And I was. Like, oh, thank I've God. never talked to him thank about God. <laughs> what he felt whenever his chute deployed. Uh-huh. But when your chute opens up, so you remember how he was talking about you jump into like this tornado? Yeah. There's a lot of noise, man. There's a lot of nerves. People are yelling. It's it's crazy. It's chaos. It's it's really loud for a long time. But when your chute finally opens. It's like the most quiet that I've ever experienced yeah. in really? my life. There's like no more quiet. Yeah. There, it's well, you're so, in the woods. It's so quiet. You're up there and the plane's gone and you're just floating. There's It's it's, it's super peaceful. Yeah. You're just, you're like a solid. You're Take like, some pictures with your cell phone if you have the... Would you time. say you're not, you're not supposed to pull your cell phone out, jumper? <laughs> Would you say that that'd be like one of the best work. experiences of your life to do something like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, so you're floating yeah. there. One time, um, I didn't even come down for a long time because I hit what's called like a hot pocket. Uh-huh. It's just like a big, like warm pocket of air in the sky. And as instead of going down, I went back up and oh. I, I hovered uh-huh. for a long time. I just sat in the sky. Is it bad if, you, if that no. happens? Or you just kind of it just, just takes you a while to get out of it, and oh, then you, okay. you eventually come down. That's real common with the women that jump because they're so light. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like not man. enough weight to push the. The uh, the parachute down, so they just kind of float up there. They just float. That was never an issue for me. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're back. My broke. first jump, my <laughs> my first jump, the I was I was falling so fast that one of the Star and Airborne's on the ground that's out there, you know, to try to like coach the jumpers coming down, was yelling at me to pull my reserve because he thought that I had something wrong with my chute. Oh wow! And I'm like looking up, checking it. I'm like, no, I'm fine. This is just <laughs> how it's gonna be. <laughs> Yeah, it's so peaceful, man. When that shoot deploys, and you're looking yeah. up at the world, you're looking down at the world, you're looking across the sky. You're just sitting there in, the, in your parachute. Just sometimes you're like, man, I don't want to hit the ground. You know, I just want to uh, float for a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, hitting the ground scary too. So it is. Is, is hitting the ground? Would you say like jumping? When you, you hit the you hit the ground pretty hard, or do you this they, 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 um, very hard? Yeah, yeah. They they try to reference it to jumping off of a eight foot ladder or a ten foot ladder. No higher oh. than that. I always heard I always heard one story building. Dang. One story roof. You hit really hard. Ten feet or something really? like that. Very hard. It's yeah. gotta be harder than that. You hit real hard sometimes. Because you can land, you can jump off a one story building with your legs apart every time. You're never gonna break your ankle. True. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, now. But. <laughs> no, but yeah. So um, that part is 
It's super peaceful, but when you hit the ground, it's pretty violent. Yeah. Yeah. So they teach you how to, they teach you how to crash land. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's one of like, that's like the longest week in airborne school is learning how to land. Uh-huh. It's called a parachute landing fall. It's just controlled chaos. Yeah. You have to learn yeah. how to hit the ground just right. So you don't break your ankles and, and hurt yourself. But yeah. So the only reason I jumped out, I wanted to not do it. I was so scared. I was, my legs were shaking. My arms were shaking. I couldn't stop it. And that girl was in front of me, that small girl. She went and jumped out in front of me. I was like, there's no way I'm not doing it. There's no way this chick is doing it I'm not doing and it. And <laughs> I just quit, you know. But so I, I got out of the plane. And after the first jump, it felt like chaos. And then once I was in the sky, I was like, wow, this ain't so bad, you know. Uh-huh. But it, it is a scary thing to do. And definitely, like I said, the most terrifying event I've ever been through in my life. At now, you know, like I became the, one of the jump masters and went through the school and ended up running the jumps and I was so used to being in the sky and, and being being on a plane that it just wasn't a big deal to me anymore. Could you guys do it now with no problem? Like I think so. Like it's I kinda do it. I think I'm too fat now to do it. <laughs> <laughs> For me it's kinda like riding a bike. I just I remember that feeling very, very vividly. I remember like even the smell of being inside the plane. I remember looking at the floor, the texture of the seats and the net behind you and I remember what, what it feels like to snap that um snap your universal snap hook to that cable and that anchor line cable how it sounded when everybody hooked up yeah i remember all the commands like i just remember everything very vividly i think i could do it again like no i don't remember anything vividly no i was like i don't remember you ever standing up and hooking up no it's attached to your reserve right yeah front you unhook it stuff like that Uh, yeah i remember it out i guess when i was when i was doing the jumps with some of my friends and it was i remember one time um they let me sit up top with the pilots. They're like, hey, um, it's going to be a while. You like a little kid, you're like in their lap, you're like, press, they let you press the buttons. I, I get up there, they're <laughs> like, hey man, just sit back there and don't move. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> can I can I touch your buttons? <laughs> no, but yeah, so I sat up there and I fell asleep and some dude came banging on the hatch and he's like, hey, uh, Sergeant Shindo, um, they want you down there. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I woke up from a panic and they ran down. They're all shaking their heads as I was running across the plane. Like, hey man, it's time to jump. Let's go, you know. Yeah. But um, one time, I got to do a jump with the German special forces, and they needed a jump master to help them with the commands and stuff. So I got voluntold to go do that. And with that country, they do not care. Or maybe it's just because it's their special forces unit that they're is really relaxed. But um, or maybe they don't care about Americans. <laughs> Dude, they were super relaxed there was no yelling involved there was no hostility anywhere and they were just like very chill like, hey guys we're gonna have a good time we're gonna chill we're gonna jump we're gonna drink after and everyone was like yeah but of course you know we can't go drinking after that <laughs> yeah. you know? who's drinking what are yeah. you but these guys were super cool when i was up there running the jump with them um they were like yeah if you want you don't need a helmet who needs a helmet i'm like well if I don't wear this thing, like by the time I hit the ground, I'll already hear about it. Well, since I'm going to land on my head, I need a helmet. <laughs> yeah, they didn't care about helmets. They were, um, we were looking for a lost jumper. Uh-huh. So our, we were jumping out of a helicopter that day. Um, our helicopter was flying in circles around the drop zone, looking for this lost guy. He was, he was stuck in the tree somewhere, and they dropped the ramp just enough for us to go hang over the edge of it and look down. Yeah. And that guy from um, Germany was like, "Hey man, come come lay down on this ramp with me." And then I, there was one guy, he was one of my jumpers. I was a sergeant. This guy outranked me by a lot. And I looked at him because I was like, 
he goes, hey, man, you're running the show. I'm not going to say anything when we get back. Go have fun. And he's like, you're the jump master. I'm not. So he looked the other way, basically. And then I got to go lay down on the ramp and hang off the edge of the helicopter. And we flew around in circles. It was cool. So I got cool. I got a lot of great experiences with, with jumping. And I got very comfortable in the air and stuff like that. But there are times whenever you go do these big missions and you're as soon as you hit the ground, you're trying to collect your things and, and carry your, your parachute back in. Yeah. You hear other people hitting the ground and they're breaking bones next to you. Like, it's pretty terrifying, man. People yeah. have gotten awards in our unit for, like, um, helping other people that with broken bones, they hit the ground and just snap their leg or, uh-huh. or a rucksack. Dude, when I, hit, when I hit the ground, when I broke my back, I had two guys run over to me and be like, holy shit, dude, we heard you hit the ground. Are you okay? And of course, I couldn't yeah. breathe yet, so I was like... <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so you broke your back at that point. Yeah, what what happened at the? What ended up? Is that when you uh, got out of the military, or what happened? After yeah, that? well, I didn't. Especially in the military, you're so afraid that you're gonna make a big deal about something, or you know, look weak. Uh-huh. That I hit the ground and I thought, okay, I just like pulled something or something's going on, but I'm not. There's no way I'm gonna have the medics come out and get me. There's yeah. no chance of that. And so I just rolled up. I had knocked wind knocked out of me. I was being, you know, pulled by my parachute still. So eventually I was able to uh, disconnect and roll my chute up. Those guys came over and they were trying to help me. And I was like trying to roll my chute up. And I got in the in the bag and I picked it up and I walked it up. But it was I was in excruciating pain. But I You were actually to, walking and you stood yeah. up with a broken back? Yeah, with oh. the parachute. <laughs> so I, would, you know, I walked it back and um, I told one of the medics on site and um, who doesn't know anything. Uh-huh. He's just like an E4 dude who's like younger than me. He did like six months of AIT medical. He doesn't know how to diagnose anything but dehydration. But um, he's like, yeah, you just pulled a muscle. And, and I was like, okay. But in my head, I was like, this does not feel like a pulled muscle. Uh-huh. But I ended up having to go. He's like, well, you can either wait here or you can you know, head back. So I just you know, I just went back and I went ended up going to um, um, the civilian hospital off uh, whatever the freeway down in Hope Mills. Uh-huh. And so I went there, and they did the x-rays, and they told me, yeah, it's, it's broken. Wow. So I just told my unit the next day, and then, you know, go through orthopedic, and then eventually they're like, yeah, it's broken. So you have the option to med board out, medical separation, or stay in. Of course, I wasn't going to stay in, so. Uh-huh. so hey, that's, yeah. You had already been there for four years? Yeah, just over four. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a five-year contract. So I think my contract ended up being like four years and ten months or something like that. It was pretty close uh-huh. to what it was supposed to be, uh-huh. so. Yeah, the unit doesn't appreciate you too much once you've been... Once you're I remember Sergeant Kelby was like, oh, why don't you PLF? I want to be like, oh, yeah. Hey, does, why didn't I do that? What does that mean? <laughs> Parachute uh, landing fall. Like, yeah. Oh, What's your top Your technique to prevent yourself from getting hurt. You twist so that you roll uh-huh. as opposed to just hit and hit, you know. Yeah, there's, oh. a, there's a landing technique, and that's what we were trying to talk about earlier. Is that the controlled chaos that he was mentioning yeah. earlier. Oh. There's a technique to landing on the ground like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, but sometimes you you come down so fast and so hard, like that technique goes out the window. Like you can yeah. try, but um, yeah, it it just it just happens. But I've seen people get hurt real bad. I've seen broken legs, broken hips, um, just like people a lot of people got hurt on that jump. There was a lot of wind that day. A lot see, of people got hurt on that jump. I got hurt on. You see, yeah. like equipment fall on top of people from the sky because they did something wrong or hooked something up wrong. So th- there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah, Sergeant Weber got put, he would jump on that day. This is why I was on, I think it was when I was on Rear D, mm-hmm. I think. 
but um, he got blown into the trees and like oh. a branch like through his <laughs> like through his thigh. Oh really? Yeah, it was bad. A it lot went, of there was a same day I jump. A lot of people got hurt that day. I think someone got in trouble for that jump. Dang, I didn't even know that. I didn't yeah. know that happened to Sergeant Weber either. That's crazy, man. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, there's there's a lot of crazy like stuff that happens when like when you go on these jumps and stuff like that. But definitely, I, if I could go back and stay, like I don't know if I would have got got out. Like now, I, I miss it so much. I miss being in so much. And oh, you asked me earlier. You asked me earlier if there's anything I miss, you know, yeah. the guys or anything. And being at my house, because I'm one of the few guys that actually owned a house, being at my house and having those barbecues all the time. Yeah. Petey's house was the, was the spot. Everybody oh, really? always go to Petey's house yeah. every weekend. Uh-huh. Big barbecues. And coming from Escalero, where when, when it's dinner time, for the most part, in, in most households, we all sit down and eat together. Mm-hmm. We all eat at the same time. And if you're Christian or Catholic, whatever, you, you, know, you say your prayers before your food. And everybody eats at the same time. And when I went to Petey's house for the first time, he had a big dinner like that. Everybody was eating the food as it was coming off the grill. It was and a barbecue, right? <laughs> and I remember <laughs> that dinner, bothered me. So me and Alaire never really got any food because we were waiting for all of it to get done and everybody to get equal, yeah. equal portions. Afterwards, after he messaged me, he's like, well, what time are you guys eating? And I was like, I don't know, like, when are it's coming out? He's like, well, we're not going to get it until 7. I was like, I'll put some stuff aside for you. So I'd wait till I'd get there and I'd cook up some like an extra... Pack of hot dogs or something, yeah. <laughs> something like that. And it, it always bothered me because, like, me and Larry were always trying to wait back, like how we do back home in Mescalero. Yeah. Wait for everybody to go through the line before you go back up for seconds, right? Yeah. Well, there, it was just chaos. There was a bunch of half-drunk dudes who are just stuffing meat in their face as soon as it came <laughs> off the grill. Playing beer pong. Playing, playing beer pong. There was just a, fighting. There was a lot going on. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember going back home and, and me and Larry being like, dang, we didn't get any food. <laughs> and then... Petey would always say, did you try some of the oil? It was so good. And I'm like, no, we didn't get any of that. Well, what about them? Like, no, we missed out I on that. I used to get frustrated too. too. I'm like, go get a plate and just go get something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we were uncomfortable with that. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that that was something that stood out to us right away is like cultural differences. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, we eventually stopped coming over because we weren't getting enough food. Me and Alaire were just being too nice, right? Uh-huh. And then, so Petey was like, no, I want you guys to come over. So he made it a big deal where he made everybody not eat. Uh-huh. When we would come over, and mm-hmm. me and me and my wife were coming over, and Logan, my son, he would make sure no one ate until we all got there, and all the food was done, and everybody was got to got to file through oh, with a, with okay. a plate, because he was like, no, these, this is how these guys like to eat dinner, and we were just not abrasive enough to get up there and just get our hands in and all the food that came off yeah. the grill, you know, as it came off. Well, I'm so forward too, and you guys were so insulated. <laughs> yeah, we were really shy, especially uh-huh. Alaire. Yeah. She was I really tried to talk shy. to her, and she'd be like, yeah, okay. She's, she's a little shy native girl. Yeah. yeah, and then um, Rich, uh, PD got to see her blossom and become a little bit more social. Uh-huh. He was like, man, when I first met you guys, you guys didn't say anything. Like, yeah. you, we were just quiet people, you know, but you from the res, like, yeah. you're not you're not in your element. That's what you do. You kind of yeah. just clam up. You don't say much until people come talk to you. That's why I assumed it was because it was all white dudes over there. Maybe yeah. it was like a cultural thing. You're not, you're, you know, not used to it. Yeah, Th- but those, those nights were the best, man. Mm-hmm. Those nights were some of the best. Um, I'd take my son and we'd stay till like, you know, nine or 10 and take him mm-hmm. home and whatever. So but, this was during, you guys were in the military on, so on weekends you got time off or how did that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's like a nine off. to, it's like a nine to five more or less at that point once you're in the unit. Oh, okay. Now it's a lot earlier than nine and a lot later than five usually. Uh-huh. But when you have your work day then you go home 
And unless you go into the field or had gotten trouble or have some kind of extra assigned duty, you you know you're off Saturday Sunday. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you had your own house and, and you were living where, where were you living at? So you get a you get an option whenever you're when you're in the army. You get an option to either live on post. Mm-hmm. If you live on post, they pay for all your rent for you. You don't have to worry about that part. You just get to go live in your 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 place. Is it like a dorm or is it like a little house or what? Is it? If you're single, you get like a dorm uh-huh. or what they call barracks. It's just like a dorm. Mm. And then if you're married, you can go get some of that um, married housing. It's still on post. But it's either like um, like a duplex, like uh-huh. a, an apartment, you know, two houses put together. Or it's like an actual house. And usually that all depends on rank. Mm-hmm. So if you're like an E5 or a sergeant and above, they'll give you an ho- a house in most most um, places. Oh, I see. But then you can, you can choose to take the other option, which is to live off post. And then basically, like, the Army's like, all right, well, you figure everything out on your, that, on your own. That's what you did? Yeah, you get yeah. BAH basic allowance for housing. Oh, okay. And so then you get the money. So I bought a house in town. Cool. Yeah. They well, me and my ex-wife bought a house in town. So, so. Oh, okay. They'll give you your paycheck, whatever you're making, whatever you earn. And then the all, uh, also the Army will take care of your rent or your mortgage. Uh-huh. They'll give you everybody the same number. So they'll give you, like, $1,000 a month for rent or mortgage. Yeah, I forget what it was. but So the move, the move is for a lot of people... If you don't need that luxury lifestyle, it's just to live off post. Mm-hmm. The army's like, all right, you take care of yourself. Here's your thousand dollars. You can maybe find a, a house that's like six hundred dollars in rent. That's yeah. what I did. I found an apartment that was six seventy five a month. It was a nice place, and I got to pocket the rest of that money. Mm-hmm. Like I just kept it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of up to you. a lot of people like to do that, but it's it's a lot more work if you if you do that. But That's yeah, cool. so I I do miss the, that too. I miss all the people getting together. I miss all the people hanging out at your place. Everybody's going away parties were, were all at my house too. Oh, oh really? yeah, all the yeah. going away parties and stuff. A lot of people come and go and stuff like that. Yeah, but, I had people in and out of there. Yeah. Whenever um, whenever I first met Petey, I didn't know if I was actually going to like him or not. It took me a long time to come around to him because um, like we were talking about earlier, he was always kind of like, a, like a, a rebel, you know. Yeah. He always, well, also in his defense, you don't want to associate with someone who is have a lot of attention on them <laughs> what do you mean when you're new he did a lot negative of attention oh okay. did a lot of push-ups around there he did a lot of push-ups when he first got there a lot of standing at attention a lot of them were play push-ups so like they'd make you do push-ups and be everyone's laughing the whole time well eventually got to the point where the NCOs would like kind of riff with me and uh-huh. you know it was like a like a funny thing like when Sarma Kilby had me when I was messing up uh, PRT on purpose yeah and so he just made me put Hudson on my shoulders and, and run around the formation while they all did PRT. <laughs> yeah. for, and they were just thought it was funny, you know. And then when I was in charge, uh, I eventually started getting more leadership roles and stuff. And, and um, Pete would try to sabotage me in the front. So <laughs> Not try. It was effective. <laughs> <laughs> um, my boss was like, all right, I want you to run um, our physical training this morning. And Shendo, and, and Shendo here cared so much about... <laughs> So much about he wanted to do it right and do uh, a good job. I'm a perfectionist. And I could not have cared less about that sense. Uh, for like, especially for like a morning thing, that it was funny to me being in his squad, you know, where they'd be like, okay, well, what's the next uh, command? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> they would quiz all the guys. So in the morning. So I was his guy. There's, so usually like, a, oh. there's usually a day where we're like, okay, say if you were in charge now, say Sergeant Shannon was sick and you couldn't come to work for a long time and we made you in charge. What would you do now? And then you'd be like, Peter would be like, I don't know. I get up in the front and face this way, and he'd come on purpose face the wrong way, <laughs> like completely face away from the formation. And then he'd be like, Um, then I'd do this and start doing some exercises we don't Sar- even do. Sarah McKenzie one time was like, because uh, like he knew he knew what we were doing, and he would say, he'd be like, uh, Okay, Pete, since um, 
since uh, Shendo's in charge, anything you mess up, he has to do, every time you mess up, he has to do 20 push-ups. And he would have <laughs> me lead the whole PT, which everyone knows how to do it. You've done it, you know, maybe literally a thousand times if you've been there a couple of years, you know. Yeah. So we had to switch places. So I would I would just be messing up the whole time on purpose, and Shendo <laughs> literally would not stop doing push-ups the entire PT. PT went to the <laughs> front of the formation, and he's like, all right, um... About face. <laughs> like, what? And then McKenzie's yeah, yeah. like, do push-ups. So I'm doing push-ups. So then the next one, he'd be like, um, what's the next one? And like, do so push-ups. wasn't even mad. He was smiling. That was funny. Yeah, so. <laughs> he knew the game. He knew what we were doing. Yeah, know. but I didn't know if I wanted to be friends with him in the beginning. And then um, eventually, I was like, yeah, this this is a good dude. Something that I wanted to kind of bring up. I didn't know. I didn't really know how to get into the subject. But I, it's, it's been on my mind. And I got to address it. Just get into it since this isn't live. Okay. So we're... <laughs> PD has a way of rubbing people raw with his opinion. Yeah. And he's very knowledgeable and which makes him very effective in his arguments. And so there's actually a lot of people that we used to be friends with in the military that are no longer his friend. Uh-huh. And so there's a subject yeah. that I've always thought about that I've not really wanted to bring up in front of a lot of people because it could get hostile. But it could make for very good podcast conversation. Yeah. And it's your view on cops. Yeah. And this has always been like a heated discussion between me and Petey because I, don't like them. I am more of like the rule follower. I do like rules. I do like doing what's right. I do like doing what I'm told. Petey, on the other hand, he always has like a, he always has a problem, not a problem with authority, yeah. but I think he has a problem with the way our authority is put together. And same like in the military, not in the sense that like I want to get to graffiti or something mm-hmm. without getting in trouble. Yeah. It's that I resent you know, uh, people coming in saying, I know that you want, you act a certain way, but I'm just going to tell you to do it. It's like, you know, someone's handing you something and you say, give me that. Yeah. It's like, oh, dude, I was already giving it to you. Now I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> kind of thing. It's like a weird, like stubbornness. I feel that way a lot about police, but. I, I'm the same way. I can't, I've had some horrible experiences with police. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever told you about it. No. I've been, I've been beaten up by the police before. Really? Yeah. In El Paso. I remember just for the just... way we look, the way we kind of, we looked, it was. Yeah, but I don't like police either. Well, nowadays, it's, it's, I mean, I, I get along with them good, but back, I guess, in my early 20s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. See, I never had issues with police. It was always like a, um, I mean, not getting, like, beat by them, but, like, yeah. uh, even just the idea of, like, getting a ticket, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I always make the joke uh, whenever there's a cop behind us. I'm like, does everyone, everyone here feel safe? Does the driver feel safe? Uh-huh. And do you feel protected? And do you feel like you're being served and protected right now? It's like, no, you're on edge. Uh, because you know if if the guy's in the in the in the right mood or the wrong mood, I guess. Yeah. He could, there's any number of a thousand different legal precedents he can use to pull you over and give you a three hundred dollar ticket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, but you know, I, like, I, yeah. I, there's a lot of good people that I feel like that are cops and stuff like that, and I've, and I considered becoming a police officer for a little bit. Well, that, how many of my friends are cops? Yeah. Girls are cops. I got as a cop. So the individuals I respect, it's more of a issue I have with the institution as a, as. Um, as you've actually, as opposed to you've actually lost a lot of acquaintances over this this yeah, subject. Davis, Why? What was? Yeah. What were you telling them that made them so mad? I can't help but just like you know, take the bait. Where um, I think it was Davis, and he said, uh, and I've got no hard feelings with Davis. I like him. I don't have a problem with him. But um, he was like something like anybody. This is very common in the military, especially in the infantry, especially since half of them get out and, and become a comp. But um, he said like uh, it was like. Um, anybody, if anybody um, in my friends list has a problem with cops, let me know so we can whatever. And I was like, I got a fucking problem with cops. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got a yeah. problem. Yeah. Doesn't make me, you know, whatever. And he, he just deleted me. 
Because <laughs> in my, <laughs> he deleted me off the internet and from his life forever. <laughs> yeah. So he has he has he has like a a knack for getting these conversations like in, in bars and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And a lot of the conversations get real heated. And I under, I always understand where Petey's coming from and stuff yeah. like that. He makes his point very clear, and he's he tries to be as respectful as he can about it. But if it comes down to it, where somebody's like, "Look, either you're gonna be my friend and support cops, or we're not gonna be friends." If they draw that line with with Petey, he will uh-huh. be like, "Well, then I don't support cops." I support I support cops, but like the good cops. I think there's good and bad, and but a lot of cops that I've I ran into, they have they have big egos. What and I did I was uneducated for the longest time until I started watching. I don't know if you ever seen those First Amendment audits they do on YouTube. Mm-mm. Well, it's a guy that will go in and, and practice his First Amendment right, freedom of the press, to record cops. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I learned I learned a lot of stuff from them, and I didn't even know because cops used to talk to me, make me get out of the car, search me, like, mm-hmm. and I just didn't I didn't know my rights back back then. Yeah, and I, I look at it now, but the experiences I've been through with, with my early twenties, I was like, man, they had no right to pull me out the car and do and say and do all the stuff they've done to me. Yeah, I remember when I, I traveled through Missouri one time, and I each time I, I got pulled up four times, and I had to get out the car each time just because they were suspicious. Yeah, of something. And they search my car, so I mean that's that's. But it, it's cool. it's, you know, you said like they have like you know uh, an egos again like power trips something like that. But mm-hmm. the problem is is that it incentivizes that. Mm-hmm. That's it's to me it seems like it incentivizes it. You can get away with that. Yeah. And so if you feel that way, you have you can indulge it. You know, so I so I do construction. I do like remodeling a tile and basically any kind of remodel on the inside of the house I can do. And if I talked to my customers the way police are permitted, mm-hmm. you know, without consequence to talk to the people they pull over, yeah. they wouldn't get any work. Yeah. You know, but you don't have a choice. Uh-huh. You don't have a choice. There's a, there's, in, in libertarianism, there's a thing called the non-aggression principle. And so you have to, you have to create a, a system where it incentivizes people to perform their best. Yeah. And even if, you know, even if a customer, if I'm in someone's house and I'm doing something and they don't like the way it is, but maybe that's the way we discussed it's going to have to be done. Mm-hmm. It's a customer's always right scenario. Yeah. So even if I disagree, I have to be as respectful and tactful um, as possible to keep the job. Now I can blow up, but then I lose the job. Yeah. So, so I can make that decision, but I pay a price for making that decision, mm-hmm. which incentivizes me to behave my best and make sure that if I do have an issue, it's it's worth it. It's calculated. Yeah. You know. Whereas for police, you can just have a bad day. Yeah, because what are you gonna do? And it's right. like with Southern Cali- Southern California Edison told me one time it's the uh, um, energy uh, provider down there. Well, if you have an issue, you can seek energy means from somewhere else. I was like, no, I can't. Uh-huh. There's no other group that does this, uh-huh. so you can just treat me however you want, and it doesn't matter. You know, I work hard. I work you know ten, twelve hours a day, and because you're missing your quota, I know the whole quota thing is supposed to be a myth, but because you're missing your your quota, you can give me a two hundred dollar ticket. Yeah. That's a whole. That's a day of work. Yeah, you're messing with my life over your BS. That's the part I don't agree with the system. It's like they're trying to get you. You know, they mm-hmm. would you say meet a quota? What? Yeah. So the, that that means they they're trying to get tickets. Or what, what does that mean? Well, just like um like a ticket quota. Yeah. This is for all my you know military. I mean my comp friends that might hear this. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I'm gonna be upset, but uh-huh. but um it's been debunked. There's not such thing as like an official quota. Oh, okay. But. Uh, you know, if month to month you're not, and, if, and you're a traffic cop, you're not writing any tickets, uh-huh. you're not doing your job. Uh-huh. So there is kind of an implied a quota that you are supposed to be writing tickets. People are speeding and people are on their phones, yeah. so you need to be giving those people tickets. Yep. You know, 
So in, in a sense, there's a quota, but you know, that, that's always I, I wanted to bring this up. I didn't really know how to like ease into this conversation, but I wanted to bring it up because it's always been one of the number one things that fascinated me about you when I first met you. Is I was like, man, this dude doesn't just like have, um, like you, you you didn't care too much for the way authority was run in the military. And I was like, it's not just there. It's outside of work, too. And I remember the first time I heard you, like, rage and stuff about um, our our system, the way we have it mm-hmm. set up and stuff in the United States. And I was like, man, this guy is really, he's, like, really invested in people getting in his business and stuff. And he's really, and it always caught me off guard. Like, man, he's, he's not afraid for some reason, like, of, of the consequences of being, like, someone who's against cops or what people think of him. And that's where I gained a lot of respect for him because I was like, man, if he doesn't care about what people think about him like this, like this guy is like truly genuine yeah. in his opinion. He doesn't just go like things because other people like him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just conform because he's told to. He's always looking for like for the for the reason why, and that's like something big that I always like took away from you. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, like to be honest, like I'm a rule follower. I like rules. I really do. Well, make rules me- are important. I just think that rules should come from there. Should be it should be societal pressure. Like a lot of people give me this like what show so criminals shouldn't be arrested. And this is a whole separate thing, but no, I just think that it should come from a private company in the same way that you have insurance or any the way anything else works. Yeah, yep. and it's you know, so I, I think there should be rules, but I think there sh- it there should be societal pressure that enforces them, and not and this is non aggression principle from libertarianism, not a gun that enforces it. Yeah, what you do, know, because yeah. then you have the option to do whatever you want, and mm-hmm. what's the other person going to say about it? Mm-hmm. Nothing unless they have more guns. And it's not likely you have more guns than yeah. <laughs> the police or the military, you know. And one, one time I argued with you, I was trying to back up police because I got a best friend who's a cop and I got a brother-in-law who's a cop. and I've got a bunch of friends or cops yeah. that I respect, by the way, you know. It's so. like when we first started arguing about it and I was like, dude, what do you have against cops? And we start going on around and around in these conversations and stuff. And and um, I asked, I was like, well what's, well, what's the fix? Since you know everything, what's the fix? And you told me and you were like. Privatize. You're like, look, I, I don't have an answer. I don't know exactly, like, to all, like, the specific details, but I do know we're doing it wrong right now. Yeah. And you settle on that fact, and you always, you're always able to settle, like, on some type of solution that, like, it answers my question, and it lets me know, like, maybe you don't have the answers, too. I like that about you. I like that you don't know all the answers, but well, you I don't have to. It's like, how's this microphone made? Yeah. I don't know. Somebody <laughs> figures it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody has a, an incentive to figure this out. But there's, an, I just like, I like that, that I can disagree with you. And maybe I can feel more um, lovable towards the idea of police officers and stuff. And then mm-hmm. you don't. You, you feel like there should be a new system. And we can still, at the end of the day, you know, hang out and be friends, be best friends at top, on top of that and stuff. But that's, that's a good quality to have and stuff like that. So um, I, wanted this, I wanted this podcast to kind of flow through our time together, our time in the military together. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to get to know, like, what your personality was when you are in the military and it was it was kind of hard to shape it because I know you so well, and Chris did a good job of asking like certain questions where it need to be asked. But um, I kind of wanted to shape like people that don't know you, like their their um, their view of you, who you are as a person when you're there, and then now now that you're out, um, you you're starting a construction construction business, mm-hmm. and some of your interests right now include um, history. Um, you read up on a lot of things all the time. You're always working on things, and one of the biggest things he's trying to do right now is move from california right you're trying to look yeah. for land somewhere whether it be arizona new mexico basically anywhere is better but yeah for me yeah we discussed we discussed something somewhere cold somewhere cold hopefully yeah we discussed um a lot of things whenever you're around but 
um, that's something that I feel like you got going for you. You're very well educated, but you do it on your own. It's not stuff that you learned in schools. I don't even think you support like our public school system. At all. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go through the list of all the things I hate. <laughs> he doesn't support public school I kinda, systems. I agree. It's the same. It's the same. But here's the thing: is it's it's the same. I don't I don't dislike educators. The problem is it's the same kind of incentive system that exists with the police. It's because it's a state issue. Yeah, it's like a business. You know, um, they're just trying to make money. Yeah, that's what I. That's why I dropped out of college. You know? People that should be, yeah. you know, people that sh- that that that, sh- that are cops and teachers should be passionate about that. Yeah. Usually, since you're influencing and you're interacting with people on that level, it doesn't matter so much if um, what the political opinions of someone who builds a table are. Yep. It doesn't. It's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. But it definitely matters when you're educating your children or you're enforcing the law. Yeah. You will need to have some kind of a system that that filters the most moral, selfless people into that system, uh-huh. and giving away six figure retirements after you know twenty years, and 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 uh, you know this kind of like um, perpetual like perpetual like self glorification of police or teachers, yeah, like these people are angels, incentivizes narcissists mm-hmm. and. I don't know, just psychopaths, I guess. <laughs> you know, into these into these positions. So it's not the people that I have. It's not necessarily that I have a problem with a lot of the individuals. Yeah. Or I don't. Not against laws or education, but I think it's been presented in the wrong way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Bad incentives. And I keep trying to get to this. Um, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, we can go this on. This is going to keep happening. Trust me, <laughs> he's he's full of all these. But um, something I keep trying to get to is like, you, me, and you probably are. We're, we're very different, just like me and Chris are, are very different. But something that I want to highlight out of all of this difference that we have, um, we noticed it early on, we're different people from the day we met in the military. We're, we're different in the way that I, I really love rules and, and things and authority and stuff like that, and you're questionable of it and all this stuff. But um, something that I want to highlight that's very big here is that like no matter what the differences are, good people will find each other. And, mm. and build a relationship. And I think that's what happened with us. Like, no matter what, like, you believe in. Like, you could probably um, believe in some kind of crazy stuff that I don't believe in. Like, like um, aliens and um, maybe, like, Bigfoot's an alien. You come with all these stories and you try to present them to me. Well, flat Earth. Flat Earth. That's the best flat crazy Earth, one. Yeah. And, um, you believe but, in the Flat Earth? No, I don't. Oh. I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. That would have been a good <laughs> like, Oh, damn. Actually, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, you've been in a parachute, so you saw. Yeah, the, yeah. You saw did you see the round part? Yeah, I saw the ice. <laughs> I saw the ice surrounding the outer circle. <laughs> but uh, something I want to highlight here is like you're a good person, man. And no matter what you I appreciate think, that. I appreciate no, that. No matter how you you skin these apples and cut them and whatever, it, you're gonna find good people. Other good people with good morals, they're they're gonna attract to each other and they're gonna make it work and stuff like that. So anyone out there listening to a podcast and stuff. Um, that's kind of wondering why why I put together this this episode for me that this is the positivity of my life um, hanging out with with PD and the way he influenced my life when I was in the military I always talk about like you've got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you which I feel like you're definitely smarter than I am um, you're definitely not stronger than me I'm way stronger than you for the record um, my <laughs> I arms. barely try and I'm so close <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's edit that part out Chris. <laughs> and then <laughs> but yeah so you've influenced my, my life in a huge way and it's because I I really respect your morals I really respect where you stand um, how you can stand up for yourself 
your strong character, your everything that a woman needs in her life, like strong <laughs> figure of a man. But all of these, all a these fine hunter, yes, fine. Well, you're there, you're getting there. <laughs> um, but um, that's that's just my point. Like I've surrounded myself with good people in my life, and you're definitely one of those those good people. You've inspired me to do things that I wasn't ever really comfortable to do. Um, I never told told that to you because um kind of like I don't want to build your ego so much but we're on the air and people are listening and I want people to know you know why why I look look up to you as a friend and why I have you in my life um, definitely if you if you ever, if anyone out there ever gets a chance to um, surround yourself with someone like this like you got to do it this is the type of friendships and brotherhood that that you have to put into your life to grow as a person like you you've never heard this from me but you you helped me grow you know and it's I'm getting it's, uncomfortable <laughs> that's why I'm not. I don't want to tell it to you. No, I appreciate. It. I appreciate. Yeah. It. it means a lot. It does. It, it's a. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. Now I'm. I'm gonna be 30 here, in this month I'll be 30, and I finally this past year I finally recognized what it is that makes me happy as a person, and it's surrounding myself with the people I surround myself with. It's mm. the influences I have. Meeting Chris was big for me because I was able to um, look at how talented he really is. I didn't know who he was, and I met him. I've seen his talents and how he's not afraid to get on stage and pursue his rap career. On the on the on the air the other day, they um they had him do a freestyle in front of I don't know how many people and he freestyled oh, really? he freestyled rapped on Dude, the spot. Never I could never do that. <laughs> this bravery that he has, like there's certain things that I pick out of people and I surround myself with. And if there's any message that I can ever send to anybody listening to this, is please surround yourself with positive and positive people positivity what's, what's the um the saying is that you're the sum of your three closest friends yeah. i think yeah you are who you surround yourself with yeah right? yeah and that's that's the number one thing if i can teach anybody that i did this i did a speech for redoso high school and that was one of my three main points is surround yourself with positivity it's the most productive thing that you can do um in your life you know because that productivity feeds you and it's like oh it's like another battery source for you you know mm-hmm. keeps you going and stuff so um i'm very very fortunate to have friends like i do and that's the message that i want to get across today surround yourself with good people if you don't have people authenticity in, you want authenticity in people if you don't have people like pd in your corner like you need to find new friends you need people that push you that challenge you challenge your views challenge who you are as a person want the best for you that has to be the only friends you have these days because if you don't, like, what are you doing? Like, they're they're working against you. Like, if they're not working for you, or working, if they're not trying to make you better, they're working against you. You know. Which means they might say stuff to you that you don't like. Yeah, and and that happens a lot. Like, we disagree a lot. Um, I have friends that say stuff to me that I don't like. And that's important. I have to tell you, don't you want yes men, court jesters. I have to you tell know? you numerous times, like PD, I don't care. I really don't <laughs> care about this. And you're like, you should care because you know we start bickering a little bit. I always uh, joke. I say, write down everything I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but and and it's been it's been powerful for me. I don't know how you feel about it, Chris. But that's awesome. I was glad glad to get to meet you. I'm just yeah, good to meet you. Cool this is a very this is a very very positive influence yeah. in my life. And um, there's and we're we'll we'll be at each other's. I don't know who's gonna die first, but. Uh, me he, yeah you're gonna put that first that's me he wants me to burn him and put him on a on a pyre right a funeral pyre yeah shoot a flaming arrow i don't think the rest of your family is going to be very appreciative of the way i handle your, your corpse I'm we'll burned. write a note up tonight oh my I'll god oh uh, yeah well anyway so let's um if anyone listening can can do that please do because it's gonna it's gonna bring positive results to your life this is um probably the only episode or you're the only guest that i actually have on where 
you're not I'm not really highlighting like a specific thing that you do, but it's something that you uh-huh. do for me, you know. And this is my my podcast with Chris, and we have that power to do that, you know. And so yeah. it's just a topic I get to highlight, and I love doing this. I love boosting up other people where I can, and I, I truly feel like you're a good person. Mm. You're one of the best people like I you. know, and I wanted to um, just get your personality out there to the world and, and let people know, like, you know, you, you don't got to agree on everything. You don't yeah. have to um, be exactly alike, and, 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 like, you didn't even care at all for rap when I first introduced you to a little bit of rap, but now you listen to a little bit of it because of me. You don't always have to agree. What kind of music you like? It's pretty wide. I yeah. would prefer if I had to choose one. I prefer it'd be like alternative rock, what I grew up with. Oh, cool! But, you listen um, to a little bit of rap now. Yeah, listen yeah. to some. Yeah, listen do you like some. the Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah, that's when oh, I think yeah. of when I think of alternative rock. That's what that's what first comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so anyway, they're my, one of my favorite favorite people here, and I don't know how. What you what did you think about your interaction today with with Petey? Great, great episode. Of, it was a. Uh, it was, it, was, it was real cool. Some exciting things, stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was great. And I'm a, I try to be an open book. You ask me whatever you want, <laughs> and you know I hope that the answer is, you know, if we need to do accepting. To- if we need to do topics on a, on a future episode, we can definitely dwell. Um, Petey's very knowledgeable on a lot of things, Chris. So yeah. Um, if you have any other questions for him, go ahead and fire away. But if not, um, that's. Um, the- I. I- I guess I had more about the the whole police thing, but that'll probably be a whole different podcast. Oh, let's do it. Let's about. do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into it. What time yeah. are we at? We're at actually two hours right now. Really? Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna probably have to save that for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I never done one. I listen to a million podcasts. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was a little nervous at first, but yeah, it's a good yeah, time. Yeah, and and they're and they're hard sometimes because you never know like the personality you have to work with and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just kind of flow, and there's for this one I was nervous that we weren't going to be able to stop. It's like there's <laughs> yeah. like there's like little stories I want to bring up and stuff, but for the most part I want it to be like free form. Yeah, and yeah. And I was like, oh man, we're gonna hit something, and I'm not gonna get on the stop. It's gonna be three yeah. hours in. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we could talk all day, especially yeah. about any kind of like any kind of politics or. I always worry about like upsetting people, of course, and I don't know, you know how many people this is gonna go out to, and you know, present or future, but all the politics, the cultural stuff. You know, yeah. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. History, I'll talk about that all day. We might have to skip on 10 questions, ten questions of the res, but <laughs> he might know some of them. Uh-huh. You want to um, run a few by him that aren't, that he would know? Uh, I'll just say pass. Yeah, yeah. Pass? We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> okay. No, not on the questions, but if it's one I don't know. Are, yeah. are, you, okay. trying to, are you trying to wrap this up right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you have any, anything else to say or... Yeah, so if you want to no, take other the than mic- I'm glad that I'm glad I got the opportunity to come on. I've been I was really excited when I heard that this podcast was going to start, and uh, I haven't listened to all of them. Listened to five or six. How many has there been? But, oh, this is a bad but, fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Because I'm being honest, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, it's been oh. great. Thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. So I guess we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. All right. So this we'll get to ten. You spent some time with the Rev, so hopefully you can answer some of these questions. <laughs> so you said you liked Old Road. That was the one question. Uh, uh, East LA Old Road. So you liked Old Road. Did you go to Windows and Broken Arrow? And in, in at the end of Mount Guts, he you, only went which, to Broken Arrow. You only went to Broken. Windows is the nicer that? restaurant downstairs. Oh okay. Yeah, you didn't. Eat, I don't think I took you in there. Yeah, I don't think so. So that's a given. Um, broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Hunting or fishing? Oh, hunting. Hunting. Cool. Uh, did you go to the travel store? Is that yeah. the one at the base, base of the mountain? Or is that at the end too? No, it's at the bottom. Yeah, like you're saying the base. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. 
what about the okay so the, the casino apache travel center store did you go there you, i think you, so yeah yeah you've been there yeah which one did you like better the, the travel the one the, the one further up the mountain the one close the travel to the store. casino yeah 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 okay cool uh club 49 or actual feast 49 so you've yeah, been to both of those you've right? been to both that so the club is so his story behind this this um bigger older woman <laughs> made pd dance with him she was very aggressive she, oh, was, very, really? she was a native chick she just kind of stole him out of his chair so that's club 49 feast 49 is that after the ceremony was over and everyone was drinking around the fire which one do you like better Oh, Feast 49, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, I was trying to get a fist fight. I was <laughs> no hard feelings, just, you know, like the little drinking, a little brawling. He felt like it was like his initiation to the res if somebody tried to fight him. Yeah, I was hoping. <laughs> You're bigger than most people. <laughs> Nobody did it, though. Nobody did it. Uh, stuffed fry bread or fry bread? Well, probably that bowl of chili that you had. I think you're talking, you're calling it soup, but I'm pretty sure that was chili. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. What, what, did you ever, have you ever tried a stuffed fry bread? No, I don't think so. Stuffed, no. No. Okay. He, so. he has to pass on that question. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite thing about Mescalero? My favorite thing? The sociability. Sociability. I was really nervous. It's like I was trying to saying earlier. I was really nervous that there was going to be like hostility towards me. And it was very welcoming. Two, very. On two separate occasions, two this older one native people told him that they had dreams about him. Oh, really? That they had seen him in a dream. I remember we were leaving whatever bar. I forget. And this dude kind of like grabbed me and pulled me aside. I remember you and Alaire both turned around like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he just started telling me about this dream he had about me. Wow. Yeah. What what, what kind of dream is it? I don't even remember. He dreamed about a polar bear? He was he was <laughs> kind of incoherent, but he was talking about, yeah, also Blanco. But he, he was kind of, uh, he was, I don't I don't remember. He was kind of incoherent, but he was talking about like, about like seeing me around in town, basically. Oh, really? And talking about like my like, I had, like, a good spirit and, like, saying, like, weird stuff like that. Yeah, he said you guys were brothers, it. too, didn't he? He yes. was like, me and you are brothers. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right, because I see that 23 and me thing. I was <laughs> yeah. like, there it is. Yeah. That's cool. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, you're, you're most thankful for... What are you most thankful for? Oh, being born in the U.S. I don't know if it's cliche, but I've seen a lot of the world, and it is cold, dark, and cruel. Like my boy Maximus said, <laughs> Rome is the light. The United States is the light, so yeah. Gladiator awesome. quote. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite holiday? Oh, Christmas, hands down. Christmas? Okay. I am PD and I love... Socializing. Socializing. Cool. All right. Or building, have... or building, too, I guess, yeah. Awesome. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's ten fun questions of the Reg. You you answered most most of them. So that's, yeah, you did. That's cool. So let's give it up one more time for PD, ladies and gentlemen, Rick, Richard Peterson, right? Richard Peterson. And thank you to all of our listeners. This was another great episode of Riding on the Wall podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Mescalero. As you probably know by now, you're listening to a podcast. Get a chance for some of the unique stories out there um, to be heard and, if anything, inspire our community.